The following is presented by the Center for Political Innovation, CPI, Building American Socialism for the 21st Century. To learn more, visit cpiusa.org. Hello, everybody. How are you doing tonight? Welcome, 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 welcome. Happy Sunday night to everybody. Be sure to hit the like button. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. Be sure to hit that notifications bell. Always good to hit the notifications bell. We are right now streaming on YouTube. We are streaming on Facebook. And I'm about to push the button. And now we're streaming on Rockfin as well. We are a growing community. Welcome, 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 welcome. Welcome, 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 everybody. Can you all hear me? Just want to make sure you can all hear me. I am doing the new thing. I've got the new webcam. I've got my computer in front of me. Um, and we're going to have a lot of fun tonight. We are going to have a great little bit of fun here. I got a few things to talk about. Um, welcome, everybody. So the way this generally works is I give my opening remarks followed by uh, a roll call where I call you all out as I see you, names and locations. And then from there, I answer your super chat questions for the rest of the night. That's how it works. So if you have something you want me to talk about, you just shoot me one of your super chats. I will type your super chat down. And then in the second half of the show, I will go through my list of super chats and answer the super chat questions. That's how it works works. That's how we're going to do it. Um, so welcome, everybody. So glad that we're all here. So glad that we're having a lovely time. So hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notifications bell. Uh, if you have something you want me to talk about in the second half of the show, shoot me a super chat. Super chats are always appreciated. Now, on that note, folks, uh, I'm going to start my opening remarks a little bit differently than I generally start them because I have a few business announcements to make. Just a few business announcements, a few business announcements. Um, and I did want to thank uh, Diego Lopez for the tip. It is greatly appreciated. The Rockman tip from Diego Lopez is greatly appreciated. Um, so we have a few business announcements. The first business announcement, by far the most important one, the most important business announcement um, that we've got here tonight, most important one is this one. Uh, which is that starting on March 12th, well, not starting on March 12th, on March 12th, there is going to be an amazing event in Austin, Texas. The event is going to be entitled Free America from the Neoliberal Empire. That will be the name of the event, Free America from the Neoliberal Empire. It will be a center for political innovation, political educational conference rally event held at the Omni Hotel, the Omni South Park Hotel in Austin. It's going to be great. There's going to be a poster for it very soon, a lot more information. Doors will open at 4 p.m. in Austin. And this event is looking to be very spectacular. Uh, Jackson Hinkle, uh, the great uh, YouTube streamer, uh, Jackson Hinkle, uh, who, who ran for city council, a progressive, anti-imperialist, patriotic socialist, will be at the event speaking along with myself. That's going to be awesome. Uh, in addition to that, there are some other, other guests that I cannot yet announce that are in the works. Some other prominent individuals, it looks like, will be at the event. So if you can make it to the event, that would be 
awesome. That would be awesome because it's going to be an amazing night in Austin. There's going to be music. Uh, there's going to be speeches. Uh, you'll get to meet uh, various people. You'll get to meet me. You'll get to meet the John Brown volunteers. Um, they're great people. Trust me. I sound like Trump now, don't I? Trust me. They're amazing people. They are totally amazing. You'll just love to shake their hands. It's going to be awesome. It'll just be awesome. But no, uh, turning my Trump voice off, but it's going to be nice. You're going to get to meet me. You're going to get to meet Jackson Hinkle. You're going to get to meet the John Brown volunteers. And there are a couple other people who are big in our little our little corner of the internet. Uh, there are some people, I cannot name names, but they are almost sure they're going to be there. So it's going to be quite a program. I thought it would just be me, but then Jackson Hinkle got interested. And now I am getting and I am, I am talking to people. Some other people might be there. Not confirmed yet. So I'm excited. I am excited. I can't wait to, to get my flight and, and book my flight to Austin. And the John Brown volunteers are already in Austin, uh, ready to do outreach and build this event on the campuses, build this event uh, in downtown Austin at the bus stops everywhere. It's going to be awesome. It is going to be an awesome, 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 awesome event. So uh, if, if you can give a donation, um, you know, if you can give a donation to help the events happen, uh, there's a link below. Uh, it's just, just down below. It's a PayPal link. You can shoot a donation to help this event happen, uh, to help us have this kick-ass anti-imperialist event. Uh, there'll be great video coming up afterwards. So if you can, uh, you can shoot us a donation at the PayPal listed below, uh, listed below, that would be tremendous. That would be awesome. So, uh, I'm asking if you could make a donation. I'm also asking you to mark your calendar and show up. I'm also asking you to help promote it once we have a poster, etc. We need all the help we can get. Putting on an event like this is not easy, folks. It is not easy. It is not an easy thing to do. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do to put on an event like this. So your help would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, so there we go. I got, got a couple super chats to write down. Um, does CPI Canada get involved in anti-mandate protests? All right. Let's Canada get involved in anti-mandate protests. Um, all right. That's been written down, right? That has been written down. It has been written down. Uh, next from Chaya. Aside from Kautsky, which theology books do you use to interpret the Bible? Very good question. Uh, so let me just write this down, right? Aside from Kautsky, what theology books do you use to interpret the Bible? Question mark. All right, writing it down. And thank you for that, Chaya, because that brings me to the second great business announcement I have for our community. And this is not related to our event in Austin. This is yet another great business event. And that announcement is that, bum, 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 and thank you, Babylon, for the tip on, on Rockfin, much appreciated, is that tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Rockfin only, no question, just here to show my support. Thank you, Cyrus. On Rockfin only, tomorrow night, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will give my first class in a series of classes called The Bible and the Proletarian Movement. Um, and it will only be on Rockfin. And the reason I'm only doing it on Rockfin is because of this. Some of you really like it when I talk about religion and the Bible. 
And some of you really don't. And that's okay. I want this channel to be accessible to everyone who wants to hear about anti-imperialism and socialism. So if you are interested in hearing me talk religion, uh, you know, and, and, you know, give a Bible class tomorrow night. And if you want to be part of the discussion, we're going to be bringing people in the stream yard for discussion. It's going to be awesome. Uh, please come by the Rockfin tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you're not interested, that's okay. Sit this one out. Um, and that's okay because this community, right. I believe there should be no religious test for any, any socialist or, or revolutionary movement. We should have people of all kinds of religious beliefs and people of no religious beliefs, right? No religious test. However, if you are a Christian like myself, or if you're someone who's maybe not a Christian, but's very interested in the Bible and looking at the Bible from a Marxian or Marxian influenced perspective. Uh, then I would recommend that tomorrow night uh, you hit that Rockfin link uh, and you join Rockfin and join our class that we're going to have because it's going to be a very kick-ass class. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I have got a lot of great material. Uh, the first class we're going to do is going to be on the book of Genesis. Wow, how could a Marxist have an interpretation of the book of Genesis? Well, you're going to have to go find out. I'm not going to tell you on here. Uh, the next class we're going to be, do, be do, doing is on the concept of prophecy and what is a prophet. Uh, after that, we're going to get into the New Testament. We got to, I mean, it's going to be really, really awesome. So uh, if you are somebody who is interested in hearing me talk about the Bible, come on over to Rockfin tomorrow night, 8, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And if you're not interested, that's fine. That's fine. We all are welcome here. And if you're not interested, that's okay. Because, you know, this, this community is, has no religious test, no religious test. This is not a faith-based community. So there you go. So now I got a couple more super chats to write down. Is Secret Family of Secrets by Russ Baker a good source of learning about the Bush family and the JOK, JFK's assassination? Let me write it down. Is good source on JFK Bush family. Wrote it down. And is the USA's goal to hijack all former Soviet republics surrounding Russia? Okay, writing it down. USA's goal to hijack all former so Soviet countries surrounding Russia. Wrote it down. So that's our second business announcement. First business announcement was about our awesome event planned for Austin, March 12th, and our our second announcement uh, it was about the uh, the Bible class that's coming up tomorrow night. Um, third announcement, um, you all already know about it, but we have published a small booklet. A small booklet has been published uh, called The Ideological Foundations of the City Building Tendency. Now, if you are part of our Patreon community, you get one automatically uh, mailed to you. Uh, if you want to go buy it from Amazon, you can go buy it on Amazon. It's only $8 because it is a small pamphlet. It's got some graphics. It's got some documents in it about what the Center for Political Innovation stands for and what the city building tendency is. Uh, so go and check that out. That, that pamphlet is available. Uh, you can get a copy of it. Um, are those trucker convoys reactionaries? Um, are those in trucker convoys reactionaries? question mark wrote it down thank you very much add add an owl owl w uh so that those are the three business announcements i just wanted to make business announcement number one march 12th mark your calendar kick-ass event kick-ass anti-imperialist patriotic socialist city building rally uh free america from the neoliberal empire 
that is set to take place in Austin. Item number two is our series, The Bible and the Proletarian Movement, starts tomorrow night. It's going to be kick-ass. And the final, the final announcement is that you can now get copies of our new pamphlet, The Ideological Foundations of the City Building Tendency. Awesome stuff. Now, moving on from business announcements, we can talk some current events. Um, I'll first tell you about my day. I'll tell you what I did today. Today, I woke up. I woke up. I turned on my classical music like I do every morning. I drank my unnamed diet beverage while I listened to my classical music like I do every morning. That's my general making up, waking up routine. I put on, I put on the piano concertos of Beethoven this morning. I cracked open my can of unnamed diet beverage. I drank the soda and I listened. And then I got myself to the gym. I got up. And I went to the gym and I got on the elliptical machine for an hour. I was proud of myself. I was, I was, I was, I was exercising uh, for an hour. I went to my favorite little Mexican place in the neighborhood where I had just had dinner with a friend. I go to that Mexican place like every weekend day. Every day when I'm not at work, I pretty much go to that place. They know me. They're awesome. And I go to that Mexican place and I sat in the Mexican place and. Uh, I thought about different different topics I wanted to talk about, uh, prepared some for the, the Bible class. But yeah, I, I did a lot of exercising. And today, whole hour, today was cardio day, the way I exercise, right? So as I do one day of just cardio and one day of weights and a little bit of cardio. So uh, today, yesterday uh, was uh, a day that I had done weights and a little bit of cardio. So today was all cardio. I was just on that machine. I was just on that machine, um, you know, and that's, that was good. And uh, I was covered in sweat and I got out of the machine, got off the machine and went and sat in my little Mexican place and, and ate some enchiladas uh, with guacamole sauce on them uh, and drank some unnamed diet beverage as I worked and prepared for the Bible class. Uh, it was a nice relaxing afternoon on the way home. Um, you know, got a few, picked up a few things for my wife, gave them to her. And now we're streaming. I had to check in with the John Brown volunteers. We had a great meeting on Skype. Shout out to you guys if you're watching to make plans for what we're doing in Austin. Uh, that was pretty neat. And that was my day. And I'm just telling you my daily routine because it's worth it, right? It's worth it, you know? Um, there, some people live their days in a very loose way. They think, maybe I'll do this, and they don't do it. And then they think, maybe I'll do that, and they don't do it. And then they feel like, ah, no, I don't want to live that way, right? I want to have control. You should have control of yourself. The more control you have over yourself, the more control you can exercise, the more powerful you can feel in the world. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, but that brings me then to a few news items that I wanted to mention. First one, uh, trigger warning. It's a little horrifying. Not a little horrifying. It's, it's very horrifying. So in Dublin, California, have anyone ever been to Dublin, California? Not sure where that is. In Dublin, California, uh, some prison guards had a rape club. Meaning people with policy. Let me repeat that. Uh, in Dublin, Dublin, California, some prison guards had a rape club. And they were uh, raping prisoners, uh, sexually assaulting prisoners, and exchanging video of it. Uh, utterly horrifying. You know, this is supposed to be the land of the free, the home of the brave. 
right? This is the human rights country, right? Uh, and and this is supposed to be the, the greatest country in the world. We're supposed to be attacking other countries. And in our prison system that is already overcrowded, we have more prisoners in the United States than any other country in the world, not just in terms of numbers, but also, also in terms of, of percentage-wise. I mean, we just lock up so many people. And some of these prison guards uh, were taking pleasure uh, and exchanging social media videos and such, uh, you know, recorded videos of themselves sexually assaulting prisoners. Now, if you're not utterly horrified by that, uh, you should be. You should be utterly horrified by that. That's, that's pure evil. It's disgusting. It's maniacal. Um, and uh, I'm glad they were caught. I'm glad it's been shut down. Um, but that shows you how vile the American prison system is, right? You know, they always want to tell you, oh, American prisons are a paradise compared to prisons in these other third world countries. Well, are the guards in these other countries, are they are they raping the prisoners? I mean, they might be. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm sure that there are other countries in which guards have done this at some point. Uh, but, uh, but this is utterly horrifying, utterly, utterly horrifying um, to think that this might be going on. Thoughts on the North Caucasus Chechen resistance against Russia and the war in Dagestan, Chechen wars justified. All righty. And um, it's, it's really horrible, right? And you think about the California prison system that Kamala Harris spent her adult life stuffing full of nonviolent drug offenders and locking people up as the district attorney of the Bay Area. And the California State Attorney General, you read what Kamala Harris was accused of and how her office as district attorney or as attorney general of California was constantly being called out by judges, how they, you know, concealed evidence. There were drug labs that were turning over false positive results, and she never bothered to tell the defendants. And and, and you know, you look at the details of what she did as the California State Attorney General, how she tried to get an innocent man executed, tried to block DNA evidence to keep him on death row. And now she says she feels really bad about it. Oh, she tried to murder someone and she feels really bad about it. Oh, oh, we're so sorry, Kamala. So sorry you have to have that on your conscience, you amazing, amazing person. We're all just supposed to be so feel so empowered that Kamala Harris is vice president. We're supposed to forget that she tried to kill someone. She tried to have an innocent man executed. She didn't want them to acquire DNA evidence because she wanted to kill somebody so bad. She was just so desperate to kill someone, to take their life, that she said, no, I don't want DNA evidence. Just let me kill the bastard. That's, that's Kamala Harris, right? And, and this prison system in California, where we now find out that in, in Dublin, California, they had a rape, a rape club, a rape gang uh, among the guards. You know, you know, those, a lot of those people are there because of Kamala Harris, right? Because she spent her adult life stuffing the California prison full of people. And, you know, we're just supposed to, Accept that, right? We're just supposed to love Kamala Harris. The main danger is supposed to be Trumpers, right? We're just supposed to be, our job as leftists is to be good little leftists and just, you know, defend Kamala Harris from those evil, evil hillbillies in West Virginia who aren't woke enough. I mean, this is, you know, I mean, if, if you are defending Joe Biden, if you are defending Kamala Harris, uh, you're not doing your job as a socialist. I'll tell you that much. Um, so there you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. But yes, I we got a new subscriber on Rockfin, Hiram Munn. Welcome, Hiram, to the Rockfin. 
Welcome, welcome. Diego Lopez sent yet another tip. Well, thank you, Diego. I do appreciate your tip. It's great. It's great. We're on Rockfin right now. We're on YouTube right now. We're on Facebook right now. But yes, this story out of California is just utterly horrific. Utterly horrific. Now, here's a story that I saw that is not as horrific. And I'll just mention this. So a church in Tennessee had a good old-fashioned Nazi-style book burning. There are book burnings. Um, you know, you know, that's what the Nazis did, is they had book burnings, right? In, in pre-Nazi Germany. Little known fact, right? So in Germany, before the Nazis came in, in Weimar Germany, 1920s Germany, was a very progressive place, actually. Uh, they had a gay rights movement before anybody did. No one was talking about gay rights in the United States until like the 1960s, but in the 1920s in Germany, they had a gay rights movement. Uh, they had whole institutes dedicated to studying human sexuality. Uh, there was a big social democratic party and a big communist party. And that Weimar Germany uh, was a very liberal, progressive place. And that's why Nazis, the Nazis were used. It was to crush the kind of the liberal, forward-thinking progressivism that was very widespread in Germany at that time, right? The Nazis were reactionaries and fascists and anti-Semites and murderers. Um, but the, the Nazis were used to suppress what was a very progressive society, a very progressive country. Um, and the way people try to blame the Nazis, you know, on German culture uh, is not accurate. Um, you know, um, are you aware of gangs inside the L.A. Sheriff's Department? Well, geez, I don't work there. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really don't think I'm aware of that. No, they don't call me up. Gang, uh, LA, LA Sheriff's Department gangs don't call me up. So if there's gangs inside of the LA Sheriff's Department, uh, uh, they, I'm not aware of it. No. Uh, but anyway, um, but, but yeah, so, you know, the Nazis, one of the things they did when they came to power was they burned books. They had a, you know, they went to a lot of these places that had, it was actually the, the Institute of, um, the Institute of Sexual of Sexual Studies, right? It was a place where they were studying sexual freedom, and they burned books. So this book, this church in Tennessee, a a, a conservative church, evangelical Protestant church, had a book burning, um, and they burned occult books. Uh, they burned uh, Twilight books, and they burned Harry Potter books. And I just had to laugh because I remember when Harry Potter first came out and it used to be the evangelical conservative Christians that were against Harry Potter. I remember that. They thought it was witchcraft. They thought it was satanic. Uh, support indie media says Waking Red. Thank you for the super chat. Um, Caleb Moppin received a tip from Ellie Marino. Well, thank you very much. It's appreciated. Uh, we're growing on Rockfin. But anyway, um, anyhow, so, so, um, so. This church, they were burning Twilight books. You know, it's the vampire series, vampire books. Uh, and they were burning Harry Potter books. And I remember that when I was a kid, that Harry Potter was satanic, it was witchcraft, etc. Um, but what is, what's kind of funny about that um, is that now you would think people would be burning Harry Potter books because it's, you know, I mean, because people consider J.K. Rowling to be transphobic, right? Um, wasn't she disinvited? Um I love Lee Camp. He's awesome. Uh, Lee Camp is an awesome dude. I like him a lot. Um, you know, uh, you know. I mean, that J.K. Rowling was disinvited, uh, you know, to the uh, the gathering, uh, the Harry Potter reunion. Um, you know, and it seems like it's the left that are against, you know, Harry Potter. The synthetic left who are against J.K. Rowling now, but she, I guess she's still getting it from the right as well. So they had a book burning uh, of Harry Potter books and Twilight books. Um, you know, and they, it was kind of a media stunt. This church wanted to get publicity for itself, so they had a, they they had a book burning. Um, yes, uh, so you know, and and uh, Mosquito Swarm is pointing out she's also anti uh, anti Palestinian. That's true. Yes, J.K. Rowling has signed 
she signed the, what is it, um, DDS, BS, this pro-Israel statement saying we can't boycott Israel because that's anti-Semitic. Um, you know, and she apparently really hated Jeremy Corbyn and the Labour Party, thought he was anti-Semitic. So J.K. Rowling has proceeded to make a lot of people angry. First, she made the evangelical Christians angry, and then she made the, uh, the, the trans community angry, and now she has made the, the Palestinian community and pro-Palestine folks angry. J.K. Rowling uh, can't get a break. She's just making everybody really, really angry, um, you know. Um, so there you go. But it seems like this church wanted to get some publicity for themselves. And that reminds me of the fact that earlier this week, earlier this week, um, uh, I saw the name Judy Bloom trending on Twitter. The folks know the name Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom was a, a writer of children's and young adult fiction um, from like the 1970s and 80s. I mean, she's still alive, but she's pretty old and she hasn't had a book in a while. Uh, Judy Bloom. Uh, she wrote Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing. Uh, she wrote uh, Super Fudge. And she wrote... Um, I, I, I can't even remember the rest of it, you know, but, but I saw her name was trending. And the reason that Judy Bloom's name was trending is because some of the edgier books that she wrote in the eighties are once again being targeted by right-wing conservatives, right-wing conservatives, uh, at these school board meetings, uh, they consider Judy Bloom to be offensive. And it's interesting. She was at one point in the eighties, I think the most banned writer, uh, you know, I mean, of, of children's books, her books were banned the most because her books were for young adults, um, you know, people under under the age of 18, teenagers, generally, you know, some of her books were for younger children, but her young adult, adult books in particular, tended to get into some racier themes, uh, menstruation, uh, homosexuality, masturbation, um, you know, um, she pushed the envelope, right? Um, you know, in, you know, there was a cultural shift in the late 1960s and then up into the 70s. And, you know, uh, her books, her books pushed the envelope. Um, they were certainly feminist in a lot of ways. There was kind of a feminist edge to them. Um, and, uh, you know, and she also was speaking about family relationships in a little more frank way. Um, and, uh, yeah, she pushed the envelope. And I guess once again, um, you know, I can't, I mean, I guess, you know, once again, she's made people angry. I will say there's gotta be, there's gotta be stuff out there now that's a lot more explicit than Judy Bloom. Um, it's a lot more offensive to conservatives than Judy Bloom, but you know, I remember Judy Bloom. I remember riding in the car with my mother and my brother and uh, my mother had book on tapes of not the offensive books, but some of her earlier books, tales of fourth grade, nothing, etc. Um, and looking back on them, I do realize they were like, you know, it was very much 1970s literature. I mean, it was very much, you know, the literature was very much influenced by kind of the cultural shift of the 1970s, um, you could argue. There was a feminist edge to a lot of the books. Um, so, you know, it's kind of interesting to think about. Judy Bloom is certainly an iconic cultural figure in the United States. Um, you know, nowadays, everybody's writing books and, you know, but, but it's kind of funny. I talked to my relatives. I remember when I was, when I was, you know, late elementary school, fifth or sixth grade, I, I decided I was going to read Ian Fleming. And so I read Goldfinger and I read Casino Royale and I read You Only Live Twice. I read all of the Ian Fleming, James Bond books, except I don't think I ever read The Living Daylights. I didn't ever read The Living Daylights, but I read all of them except for The Living Daylights. And I remember talking to one of my uncles um, and one of my uncles said to me, he said, you know, he had read whichever one I was reading, Goldfinger or, or Diamonds Are Forever or whichever one. 
And he said, yeah, I read that because back when those books were first published, everybody read them. And then a couple of years later, I was talking to somebody about Jessica Mitford. Weird connection. Jessica Mitford, uh, the journalist, the American journalist who wrote nonfiction and who was the hero of J.K. Rowling, like the inspiration to J.K. Rowling. Jessica Mitford was at one point a member of the Communist Party, quit over the Khrushchev revelations from a British family, uh, British wealthy family. She like stole money from her dad and ran away to fight in Spain and, and fought in Spain and then moved to the United States and became this like communist investigative journalist. And she quit the CPUSA. She was kind of a liberal feminist journalist in the 1960s. Um, and one of her most famous books is called The American Way of Death. The American Way of Death. And it's about how funeral homes rip people off, basically, and how funeral homes take advantage of people uh, at time. You know, when someone's just died, you're grieving, and they, 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 they take advantage of people. And how in the United States in particular, there's a cultural, culture of funeral homes taking advantage of people financially. It's a very good expose that she wrote. So I mentioned to somebody, oh, and then there's Jessica Mitford who read uh, you know, who read, you know, who wrote the American way of death. Um, I mentioned that to somebody and then somebody said, oh yeah, yeah. Well, you know, back when I was young, everybody read that. And that really led me to a revelation, which is nowadays, right? You on here, there's 200 of you watching now. Love you guys, right? We are a special niche community. We're talking about socialism and American characteristics, the city building tendency out of the movement to the masses. But we are a very niche, niche thing. But it's only because of technology that you have access to very, very obscure people like me. It used to be that there were three TV channels, uh, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And it used to be that everybody read the same books. And if everyone read Ian Fleming, everyone read uh, Jessica Mitford, The American Way of Death, and everyone watched CBS. Um, and that kind of created a common point of reference. Right, the jokes would be about uh, would be about the same things, and and that that kind of there was kind of you know the culture, the society was kind of on the same page, and that one result of technology is we're not really on the same page. You've never met somebody before, and you tell them a joke, you don't know if they're going to get it or not. Right? I mean, you know, you know, so every so often there'll be something that goes viral on social media, like West Elm Caleb, right? But if I just met somebody. I wouldn't know for sure that they, I couldn't make a joke about West Elm Caleb because I wouldn't know if they'd ever heard of West Elm Caleb. They probably did because of all the social media attention, but maybe not, maybe not. Right. And that's one of the, one of the things is that, that part of the way society used to be a little bit more stable was that everyone was kind of on the same page. Uh, you know, they watched the same movies, they watched the same TV programs, they read the same books, but now it's not like that. Now media is so diverse uh, that you're able to much more accurately kind of carve out your own little niche in the universe, uh, in, in the uh, in the media sphere, right? And uh, you know, you know, it, it's a, it's a very different world, and it's interesting to think about. It's very very interesting to think about that. Now, you know, we've gotten to be so much more niche as a society, right? That, um, and so that's something I'm thinking about. And like, so Judy Bloom. My point being that Judy Bloom, right, is an icon because. You know, she was writing novels and children's novels at a time where there weren't children's novels everywhere. Everybody wasn't writing children's novels, right? So there were only so many children's novels you can read. And because there were only so many of them, a lot of people ended up reading Judy Bloom. There's probably millions and millions of Americans who read Judy Bloom. I am one of those millions of Americans. Nowadays, you don't get people like that. I mean, sure, you get your J.K. Rowling's, but the world is much more niche. The world is much more, um, you know, it's not like everyone reads the same books. 
And that's one thing uh, that I was thinking about. And so just one other current event I wanted to comment on. I wanted to comment on um, before we get to our roll call and then our super chats. Just one other thing that's been on my mind. Um, and again, this is a little bit of quote unquote inside baseball. Um, but that's okay. We can talk about that. We love commie inside baseball on here, don't we? We love it when I get into obscure differences between Trotskyite groups. We love it when I tell you the difference between a Maoist third worldist and a Marxist Leninist Maoist. We love it. We love it. Come on, admit it. You love it when I get into the niche, the obscure, obscure niche interests of communism. You love it. You love it. You love it. You love it, right? So, you know, I have to kind of apologize for it because I am often often talking about stuff that people uh, aren't familiar with. But this is pretty relevant to everything we talk about on this channel. So I'm going to go there. I am going to go there. I'm going to get into a little bit of niche commie inside baseball. All right. So you may or may not be aware. You probably aren't aware because it didn't get very much attention. But on Saturday, here in my city of New York City, uh, there was a protest in Times Square uh, for no war with Russia. Good. I'm really glad there was a protest around that issue. Um, you know, with my job, I can't be going around organizing protests and things like that, but it's something I care a lot about. And I know some people who were there. Uh, shout out. I think Flame of Liberation was there. Nick from Flame of Liberation was there. My good friend Richie was there. Uh, Fiorella from Convo Couch was there. Uh, we met up later. We got to have a nice, uh, nice conversation over, over some Mexican food and uh, you know, and, and, you know, I'm really glad they did this demonstration. However, I talked to a number of people who were at that rally and everyone told me they were shocked because this rally, this rally uh, that took place in Times Square, it was supposed to be a rally called No War with Russia. No War with Russia, right? U.S. out of Ukraine. No war with Russia. They made it a woke rally against Donald Trump. They apparently never got the memo that Donald Trump is not president anymore, that Joe Biden is president. They also never got the memo that Donald Trump has said that Joe Biden shouldn't be you know, escalating with Russia. This is a European issue. It doesn't have any benefit to the United States. They never got this memo, right? And they had signs that said, uh, what did their signs say? They said, like, stop. Uh, stop co or fight COVID, not Russia. Oy, 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 oy. And somehow they had a woke Black Lives Matter drive out Donald Trump because he's a fascist, silence, uh, silence dissidents on social media, ban Joe Rogan rally for no war with Russia. I'm just like, and I know why they did it, because this rally was organized by Marcyites, followers of Sam Marcy, his PSL, Party of Socialism and Liberation, it was the Workers' World Party, and it was some split from the Workers' World Party that I can't remember their name, and it was some other split from the Workers' World Party that I can't remember their name, and they, they are so addicted to pandering to liberals that they can't turn off, they can't for a goddamn second pull their heads out of their ass 
and realize that at this point, average Americans are anti-war. Average Americans are anti-war at this point. Average Americans are against the wars. They are happy that the USA pulled out of Afghanistan. They don't want a war with Russia. Average Americans are against these wars. Wokes aren't. The wokes think that if you oppose the war, that you're a Nazbol, you're a Nazi, you're a fascist. The wokes say that if you think that, that Russia isn't an evil country, you're spreading conspiracy theories. You need to have your social media banned. I mean, hello, hello. Why on earth, at a time when the working class is more ready to hear an anti-war and an anti-imperialist and a socialist message than ever, why on, in the, why on holy hell are you pandering to these woke, woke assholes? The, the, the wokes, I mean, and, and it's so ridiculous, the arguments they make, you know, you know, uh, you know, that one of these groups, they had a headline in their newspaper and the headline in their newspaper was no support for Ukrainian written houses. And it's like, they're so stupid. I think they really do believe, I think they really do believe that if they just pander to these, these wokes enough, they'll all become anti-imperialists. No, they won't. Wokeism is what the imperialists are using to justify their system right now. Average Americans are anti-war. Average Americans are questioning the government. Average Americans are anti-establishment. And the wokes are the fascist enforcers of the neoliberal order that we're supposed to be struggling against. And it's beyond me. It's beyond me how I mean, these people can't pull their heads out of their asses. And I know why they're doing it. And this is because of Sam Marcy. Sam Marcy, right? I, I almost want to like, I, I should like cross myself when I say his name, you know, Sam Marcy, God bless his holy name. I'm just kidding. Sarcasm. But, you know, Sam Marcy, the founder of the Workers' World Party, which the PSL, Party of Socialism and Liberation, split from and, um, you know, uh, and the, uh, you know, you know, Sam Marcy, his orientation was this movementarian orientation. Turkey will move against Russia over Ukraine, supporting the Crimean Tatars. Okay, whatever. Don't know what that means. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, and this is, this is what they do. I wrote an article. You can go, if you go to the Center for Political Innovation website, cpiusa.org, click on articles, and you will find a polemic that I wrote called The Masses Are the Water on the Failure of Late Marcyism. And I talk about why the PSL, the Workers' World Party, are clueless. Um, and I, I really wish people would read this. And if you know somebody who's getting, you know, there's a lot of great anti-imperialists on this channel, people that want to stop the wars, people that are, are revolutionary and anti-imperialist. And, you know, a lot of them see that PSL is, uh, you know, against war with Russia, and PSL is supporting Cuba and Venezuela, and they get taken in by it. So if you know somebody, and thank you, Class Analysis just posted the link. Thanks, Ryan, from Class Analysis for posting the link. You know somebody who's getting suckered by the Brian Becker, you know, clique, right? If they're getting suckered by PSL, right? Um, if you know somebody who, who's getting suckered by them, uh, you know, please, you know, get them this article, uh, you know, and, and find it, you know, find out a way to pull them out of this because this is a way to make sure the anti-war movement remains isolated. Average Americans and working people hate the wokes. They hate Antifa. They hate the wokes. Average Americans are sick and tired of the wokes. They're sick and tired of not being able to make a joke without offending somebody. They're sick and tired of being scared that they're going to get canceled for saying the wrong thing. 
They're sick and tired of being told that any that they're not allowed to question the status quo. They're sick and tired of these lockdowns that have devastated neighborhoods and destroyed communities. Average Americans are sick and tired of the wokes. And there is a rumble. There is a rumble beneath the surface. There is a subterranean fire burning right now. The working class is sick and tired of these middle class wokes that are trying to tell them that they have to accept, you know, the, the lockdowns that have destroyed their lives, that are telling them that, that they deserve to be, you know, punished and that, you know, oh, you didn't use the right pronouns. You're a bad person. And, and are telling them that they, sh- they should be happy with Joe Biden's uh, inflation and just accept it. And people can't stand the wokes. And so by attaching the anti-war movement to wokeism, when PSL organizes rallies to, to get, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse expelled from Arizona University, oh, yeah, that's what the masses are ready to fight over. That's totally not a CNN culture war. You know, this is leading the anti-war movement into a dead end. It is leading the anti-war movement off of a cliff. They, they, it is setting the stage where when the explosion against the wokes that's coming happens, which is going to happen, right? I mean, it happened in 2016. That was an explosion against wokeism. And now it's going to get bigger. There's going to be, I mean, if the economy continues the way it is, I mean, if, the, if, if more and more Americans start saying, let's go, Brandon, the explosion against the wokes that is on the horizon is going to be huge. And if we socialists, Marxists, and anti-imperialists don't position ourselves with the masses against the wokes, and if we can't get out of the movement and to the masses, we can't do that. If we can't do that, if we can't do that, when the explosion comes against wokeism, which it's coming, it's only a matter of time. I mean, it's already happening. Then it's going to be fascism. Then we are going to have no influence over it. It's going to be a pro-imperialist, Zionist, libertarian, right-wing movement that is going to crush, crush the working class and is going to be pro-imperialist. We need to get out of the movement and get to the masses so that we can actually win. And that's the only hope we have. And so the PSL, Brian Becker, Gloria LaRiva, Richard Becker, these people, these people are leading the anti-war movement off of a cliff and they've got to be stopped. They have got to be stopped. We have got to stop them, right? They're, they're movement hustlers and they are leading the anti-war movement off of a cliff. They're setting the stage, uh, you know, for for basically everything progressive to get crushed when the working people rightfully rise up against the wokes. The only people that will be riding any of that anti-woke energy are going to be are going to be right wingers, and that's going to be dangerous. I went to the Chicago No War protest. Good for you. I got Sparta System Bob Avakian handouts. Well, there you go. Any information on them? I support No War, but I felt the woke energy. Well, I'm glad you went to that rally, Gabby, because we need people to stand against the war. Spartacist League is a Trotskyist uh, group, um, and they actually take some pretty good anti-imperialist stands. They're kind of dogmatic, uh, orthodox Trotskyists. Uh, Bob Avakian, the RCP, the Revolutionary Communist Party, they're, they're you know a new left formation that's been around. I've talked about their history for a while. Um, in fact, why don't I write that down? I'll make that a super chat. Spartacist and Bob Avakian. I'll just tell you who they are during the during the. Who are they? I'll just tell you more about them in detail uh, during my uh, super chat thing. Thank you for the super chat, Gabby. I'm happy to answer that because you guys love that. You love that. You love the inside baseball. You know you do. You love the inside baseball. You love when I get into the history of obscure communist groups and 
and all of that. Um, so you love it. You love it. And I will be happy to tell you all about it. So there you go. Um, but yeah, folks, I just, we got to stop. We got to stop them from doing this. They are leading the anti-war movement off of a cliff. Um, they are leading, leading anti-war views and perspectives. Look, what if an average working class person who hate the, hated the wokes and just didn't want a war? What if someone whose relative was in the military went to that rally today? And they said, you know what? I don't know anything about this group. I don't know anything about the PSL or the Workers' World Party, but I'm against war with Russia. What if they showed up to that rally? What if they showed up to that rally? And then they heard, oh, it's got stopping Donald Trump, even though he's not president anymore. And oh, you know, the, these Ukrainians are just like Kyle Rittenhouse. And, and what if they heard that? They would walk away and never come back. And that is what the imperialists are doing. Uh, Russia is using Syria. No, it's not. Shut up. Anyway. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, that is what the imperialists are doing. That is what the imperialists are doing. And, and you know, I mean, that's what these, these wokes are doing. They are, they are, you know, a lot of working class people. A lot of working class people are against these wars. A lot of working class people are against these lockdowns and these mandates. A lot of working class people, you know, uh, are really tired of the wokes. And the synthetic left is trying to make sure that anti-war sentiments and anti-imperialism and socialism never reaches these people. They want to make socialism inaccessible. They want to recruit, you know, woke, woke college hipsters, and they don't want to recruit the masses. They hate the masses of people, you know, and they hate, they hate the masses of people. They're pandering to the wokes, and the wokes don't want to hear it. The wokes are pro-imperialist. You're going to recruit bread tube? Give me a break. Um, and if we don't stop them from hijacking, hijacking, uh, the the anti-war movement and leading it down this death trap, um, you know, and and I mean, we're going to have a big problem. We are going to have a big problem here. We're going to have a big big problem, um, and and so we ought to do something about it. So you know, we need you to to circulate that piece on Marxism. I know the John Brown Volunteers are working on a video about Marxism, and that's really awesome. I think new subscriber Travis Travis Kunna is is subscribed on Rockfin he's going to be on for the Bible class that's going to be awesome very very good so those are my opening remarks folks just kind of a roundup uh, not it wasn't really a you know this wasn't like a like a big speech I gave here but I just gave you kind of a roundup of events um, so hit the like button hit the subscribe button hit the notifications bell and now let's go into our roll call let's do the roll call Let's do the let's do the roll call again. Rocky Horror Picture Show. All right, roll call. Who's with us today? Names and locations. I will call you out as I see you. Names and locations. I'm gonna have to look at the computer screen. So there you go. Roll call. Who's with us? Who's with us? Roll call. Let's find out who's there. Ryan in Oakland. Um, ben in Denver, Mexico. Jonah in Akron, Ohio. Temple City, Cleveland. Pirate Alex. Uh, Micah in Las Vegas, Char Char Darling, Ash in Chicago, Tampa, Florida, Adelaide from Australia, Adelaide, Australia, David in China, Io Hillary from New York City is with us. Shout out to you. Honolulu, Knoxville, Tennessee, Kendall in San Diego, Char Char Darling in Austin, Texas, Mo in Toronto, Marta in Poland, Trans Marxist in Ontario, right? Um, who else is with us tonight? Um, uh, Jason Hunt is in Chicago Smedley, Mar Marlin in San Diego, Vicksburg, Mississippi. Uh, Kieran from San Diego is with us. Ron in Scotland, Nicholas in Mobile, Alabama is with us. David in Calumet, Michigan, Enoch, Australia, John in Houston. Um, 
uh, very good. Kensington, Dylan Smal and Kensington, Mindanao to Midwest, Olympia Logic, uh, Aiden in, in the Bronx, Ryan Overstreet in Lexington, Kentucky, um, Lakota Nation, Oglala, uh, Maple in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Los Angeles, San Antonio, Texas, St. David's Bermuda, Tim Stacy in Kentucky, Neil Frazier in Hong Kong, shout out to you, James in Florida, The Piano Man in New York City. Virginia Beach, Virginia, Detroit, Michigan, Orlando, Orlando, Florida, Alberto, Pauline, and Xavier from, didn't say where they're from, Springfield, Missouri. Uh, we got um, Springfield, Missouri. Let me roll up again, right? Uh, Susan Brown from Rhode Island, Melbourne, Australia, Welland, Ontario, Canada, Mike from Arcata, right? Tucson, Steve from Southwest Michigan, Toronto, a van from down by the river. That's funny. Kalamazoo, see you in Austin. Excellent. Rileyville, Virginia. Mosin from Iran. Bob Troy in New York. Memphis, Tennessee. Gabby in Chicago City. Shout out to you. Calcutta, India. Colorado. Someone from Colorado is with us. Very, very good. Very, very good. Um, rolling back up once again, right? Rolling back up once again. That's okay. Um, um, uh, Michelle from Mexico. Ed in San Jose, California. Alan Reyes from South Carolina, President Jesus in Los Angeles, Pomona, California, Musa from St. Petersburg, Russia, St. Paul, Minnesota, Montreal, uh, Caracas, Venezuela, um, uh, Moscow, Brooklyn, New York, Donna S., Harold in Illinois, Leipzig, East Germany, Chicago, Santa Clarita, the Orange Duke, Gallon, North Carolina, Kinky is with us, shout out to you to Kinky, Talent in Oregon, Sam Scheller from Santa Monica, Andrew in Australia. Uh, good stuff, folks. Good stuff. We got a super chat that just came in. Let me let me roll up and see that super chat. Oh, it's just Piano Man sending me a super sticker. Thank you for the super sticker, Piano Man. Thank you very much for the super sticker. All right. Judas in Massachusetts. Uh, need in Oakland. Notifications don't pop up anymore. We'll be sure to crush that subscribe button, that notifications bell. We got Max in Virginia, Max the Sacks. We got Islan, the Sun Belt, um, Woodside, North uh, New York City. Very good. That's out in Queens. London in the UK. Caitlin from Chicago. Shout out to you, Caitlin in Chicago. Uh, there we go. The super chat certainly did work, Piano Man, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, there we go. Um, there we go, folks. Great. Well, I'm glad you're all with us. And now, now, next, we are going to start answering Super Chat questions. So we've got a number of Super Chats. If you have something else you want to talk about, we are still accepting Super Chats. Super Chats are still appreciated if you want to keep sending them. So very good, very, very good. So now I will start answering Super Chats. Does CPI Canada get involved in anti-mandate protests? Well, there is no CPI Canada. So the answer to that would be no. Maybe they would if CPI Canada existed, but CPI Canada does not exist. We have friends in Canada. Uh, there are some Canadian communists that I talk to. There's a great YouTuber, Ewoks Unhinged. Uh, but no, at this point, uh, there is no official CPI Canada. So there you go. Aside from Kautsky, asks Chaya, what theology books do you use to interpret the Bible? Well, I would also recommend uh, the work of Elaine Pagels. Um, uh, there is a great book called Communism in the Bible, written by a leader from Latin America that I would also recommend. Um, 
there you go. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great place to start. Um, there, there are a number of books that I can highlight, um, you know, so there you go. But yes, Carl Kautsky's Foundations of Christianity is one of the best books on Christian theology we've ever seen. There is also uh, the work of Elaine Pagels, a very widely respected scholar. Uh, there is also um, there is also uh, the book uh, Christianity in the Bible, uh, which is put out by a Latin American liberation theologist. That's very good. Um, there is also, if I do remember correctly, there is also another book that that comes to mind, and it actually just slipped out of my mind. I was going to mention it, and it slipped out of my mind. Um, which book was it? Now that book escapes me. But yes, I'm good generally at, at naming books off the top of my head, but this book has now slipped out of my mind, and I don't remember which one it is, but it's a good one. It's a damn good one. So there you go. Uh, yeah, I can't remember it now. It just, there you go. But yes, um, that's a great way, great place to start that I would recommend. Um, there, there we go. Is Family of Secrets a good source of information on the JFK assassination and the book family? definition between Lenin's definition of imperialism and the colloquial one. Very good question. Right? Lenin's definition of imperialism versus colloquial one. Very good question. All right. Family of Secrets. Is it a good book on the JFK assassination of the book family? I don't know because I have never read that book. I have not read that book, so I cannot tell you if it's a good source of information or not. I don't know anything about that book. I haven't read it. I haven't read it. I have read Webster Tarpley's uh, unauthorized biography of George Bush. And I will say that's a great book in terms of information on the Bush family, a huge amount of research and a huge amount of information. It's kind of a conspiracy book, but it's got a lot of information on it. Absolutely a lot of information. Was Iraqi Ba'ath Party under Saddam Hussein initially, initially allied with the Soviet Union? Yes, it was. And I can write about that, right? Um, Iraqi Ba'ath allied with the USSR, question mark. Yes, it was, and we can talk about that, but we'll talk about that. Um, all right. Is the USA's goal to hijack all former Soviet countries surrounding Russia? Hmm. I think the USA's goal is to drive Russia off the market and make sure that Russia is not a competitor in terms of oil and natural gas. Um, part of doing that is creating tension in the countries that surround Russia. Uh, Georgia is a US-aligned country. It attacked South Ossetia, and then Russia had to respond. That was in 2008. Ukraine is a former Soviet country, um, and it had a government that was borderline neutral to Russia. I mean, it was, it was you know, Yanukovych, and the USA toppled that government and installed a fanatically anti-Russian government in 2014. That government has been tearing down World War II memorials and murdering civilians in eastern Ukraine, shelling civilian areas against the people in the eastern regions who don't want to be part of, of their fanatically anti-Russian government. Um, the USA was involved in destabling Kazakhstan uh, recently uh, and creating instability there and kind of sowing unrest in the country. Um, so yes, there are there are a number of of you know countries. Donation to the John Brown cadres, much appreciated, Javier Torres, um, much appreciated. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, there are a number of countries. There are a number of countries uh, in the uh, the former. USSR, the USA is destabilizing and trying to escalate tension with. Uh, NATO has continued to move eastward. But I don't think it's simply, you know, it's not like a geography game. It's not risk, right? And I think that what's going on is that it's about economics. And shout out to Ramiro, who just joined us. Great guy. Check out Ramiro's channel. He does really great stuff. Um, but Imperialism Unmasked with Ramiro, great stuff. 
Um, and Char Char Darling is thanking Javier Torres for the contribution. And if you really want to help us have this event, uh, you really should give us a contribution to help the event. You can, you know, there's a PayPal link down below. Um, you know, uh, down below there's a PayPal link, and we could really use contributions to help this event happen. Uh, you know, March 12th. But, but yes, um, you know, I, I think the goal is about economics. They don't like Russia being a competitor. Um, you know, so I think it's, 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 it's more about that. All right. Are those in the trucker convoys reactionaries? Probably. I mean, if you're asking where they align on the political spectrum today at this moment, yes, they are on the right. Um, and they are deeply conservative and they are making libertarian arguments and there is right wing money. There is right wing money uh, pouring in to support them. So, yes. Does that mean we shouldn't speak to them? Does that mean we shouldn't engage with them? Does that mean we shouldn't, uh, you know, try to win them to socialism? No, absolutely not. Right. And, and that's the point. Yes. These, these demonstrations are run by right wingers. That's true. Um, CPI California will be hosting a demonstration in solidarity with Alex Saab in San Francisco to 16, 11 a.m. at the UN Plaza. Excellent. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, says class analysis, Ryan, that's beautiful. Really beautiful stuff. Really, really beautiful stuff. I really am really glad to hear that. And Alex Saab should be free. Free Alex Saab. Free Alex Saab. All right. Um, very good. Um, can you explain the history of NATO and its relationship with Russia and Ukraine? Sure. Sure, sure. All right. All right. But yes, those trucker convoys. Yes, the people in those trucker convoys at this time are right wing. I mean, they have right wing ideas. They have backward libertarian ideas. But you should watch the great interview I did with Dust James. That doesn't mean we can't go to these people and engage with them. These are working people challenging their employers. And if we just sit back and allow the right wing to dominate these demonstrations, we're not doing our jobs. And the idea that the woke demonstrations are somehow progressive is wrong also. The wokeism is not progressive. It's anti-communist. It's pro-imperialist. At all of these demonstrations, we should be going to the people and engaging with them, you know, and, and offering them some level of support just as people. Maybe not supporting any of their political demands, but, but you know, offering them some support and winning them to socialism, raising the property question. That's what needs to be done. All right. Was Muammar Gaddafi trying to start a world revolution? No, but we can. All right. There's some strange questions there. I've been trying to start a world revolution funding rebel groups. Question marks. All right. Wrote it down. Thank you for the super chat. Um, elaborate on winning people with policy. Well, sometimes in order to raise the property question, the way to do it is by putting forward a policy or a demand, something that people could actually see being done and saying, why can't this be done? That could be a very, very effective way of raising the property question. If you just go to people and say communism, they might look the other way. They might, you know, but if you say to people, hey, why doesn't the government bring the troops home and spend the money rebuilding the country with a national, a national infrastructure campaign, hiring the unemployed to rebuild America, right? That's a fair question. And by asking that question, by putting forward that demand, you can educate people because people have to say, yeah, why don't they do that? And they can demand that their politicians and leaders do it and they can confront them. And that in itself is a way of raising the property question of, of 
pushing the working class into motion, uh, showing people the nature of the capitalist state. Um, and it's what communists do is they put forward a program and that this is an effective way of raising the property question with demands, right? The Bolsheviks came to power on peace, land, and bread, right? Uh, the, the, in, in China, uh, the communists came to power on defeating the Japanese invaders, land to the tiller, redistributing the land. And that often by developing a program, a program that changes property relations, a mass line to win over the masses can be in a very effective way of raising the property question. Right. Um, I, I think if you read in the little red book, there's a section called the mass line and it talks about from the masses to the masses and how the communists must all constantly be engaging with the masses and finding out what they want and then offering it to them in a unique way, like finding out what it is that the masses desperately want and then offering it to them. And that this is a way of raising the property question and pushing the class struggle forward. And that raising, I think, you know, what some might call transitional demands, that's a little bit of a Trotskyite language, but it's fine. Transitional demands or developing a transitional program can be a way of winning people to socialism and advancing the class struggle. Uh, it can be a very effective way of doing, um, you know, there you go. All right. All right. The Chechen wars against Russia, were they justified? No. The United States was backing Islamic extremists. Saudi Arabia was backing Islamic extremists. At one point, the Nazis were backing Islamic extremists to try and destabilize the Soviet Union. They were playing on religious and ethnic differences. Chechens tend to be Muslims. Um, and they were playing on these differences to, you know, to try and weaken the Soviet Union and, that, and, and Russia. And that's not good. Right, and the, the Chechen extremists committed horrendous terrorist attacks. So not good, not good, not good. All right, why are so many labor unions controlled and led by organized crime syndicates? Jimmy Hoffa taking control of Teamsters Life. Well, that's, again, you're kind of missing the point there, but we'll talk about that. Organized labor, organized crime, Jimmy Hoffa, Teamsters, all right? All right. But no, the Chechen wars were not justified. Right. Um, you know, and that's not to say that, that there weren't ways the Chechens were treated uh, over the years by Russia, by the Soviet Union that were wrong. Um, but, uh, you know, the idea that that, you know, Islamic terrorists had the right to take hostages and kill people. And, you know, Saudi Arabia was fomenting this this, you know, jihadist extremism against Russia. And Russia had the right to fight back against that. So there you go. Um, you know, um, I'm, I'm going to ignore Brave New Perth. He's one of these people who like thinks Dugan is secretly controlling everything and he's not worth our time. But I appreciate the money, though, that he's sending. That's really, really appreciated. All right. Um, but uh, uh, so Gabby asked about the Spartacists and Baba Vecchio. Who are they? So Gabby, since we love inside baseball here, we love commie inside baseball, I am going to tell you who uh, the Spartacists and Baba Vecchio are. So the Spartacist League was a split from the Socialist Workers' Party. <laughs> Um, the Socialist Workers' Party was the main Trotskyite party in the United States. Um, it was founded, it was, you know, so originally, okay, back up. So you have the Communist Party USA, right? It was established in 1919. Originally, there were like three, three or four different groups claiming they were the Communist Party. They all merged into one in 1921. The Communist Party, right? And then Trotsky and Stalin have their falling out. And there's a leader of the American Communist Party named James Cannon. And James Cannon, who was the leader of the International Labor Defense, he supports Trotsky rather than Stalin. So he starts a secret Trotskyist faction inside of the Socialist Workers Party. 
and he gets kicked out of the Socialist Workers' Party and he forms, at first he forms the Communist League of America. Uh, and then eventually he merges into something called the American Workers' Party uh, you know, with followers of A.J. Musty. And then they all joined the Socialist Party. And then finally, in 1939, the Trotskyites broke away from the Socialist Party. They formed their own party called the Socialist Workers' Party, the SWP. And the SWP was against World War II. Uh, and so they went to prison for disrupting the war efforts during World War II. I don't think that was right. I think they had the right to speak against it. I think they were wrong to protest World War II. I think World War II was justified. The USA was a socialist country. We still would have defended the USSR from the Nazis. So why would it be wrong to do it as a capitalist country? I think the USA should have gotten involved in World War II. I think, obviously, I think Japanese internment was wrong. I think there were war crimes committed by the allies, such as the bombing of Dresden. However, at the same time, the USA was right in World War II. It was right to align with the Soviet Union against the Nazis. It was right to, uh, you know, be part of the uh, the, the anti-fascist camp. Um, so therefore, you know, the USA was right during World War II. However, I don't think the Socialist Workers Party should have gone to jail for being wrong about World War II. I think they had the right to freedom of speech. Um, you know, but yes, the Socialist Workers Party, they were all put in jail, not all of them, but like their leaders, James Cannon, Farrell Dobbs, put in jail during World War II. Um, and then after World War II, to uh, McCarthyism happened, and there was kind of a, a lot of people quit the communist. Uh, there was McCarthyism and the SWP, kind of you know they were against the Communist Party, but they were also targeted by McCarthyism. And then Khrushchev gave his secret speech, and a lot of people quit the Communist Party. And some of them became Trotskyites, and you know in the early '60s, the Socialist Workers Party, the SWP, was probably the second largest communist group in the United States. CPUSA was probably the biggest. And then you had SWP, Socialist Workers Party, and they were a pretty big one. And then there was a Maoist group called the Progressive Labor Party. But in the early 60s, you had you know about three major communist groups. The Workers' World Party was around, but they were really, really small. And yeah, so in the early 60s, you had the PLP. They were people that were pro-Mao and pro-Stalin. They were like a split from the Communist Party that was pro-Stalin. Um, you had the Communist Party USA. It was led by Gus Hall. They were the pro-Soviet party. Uh, and they were supporting Khrushchev and supporting the Soviet Union. And then you had the SWP, which was the, the Trotskyite party. Um, and it was led by Farrell Dobbs uh, and James Cannon and some others. Uh, there was a guy named Peter Camejo uh, who joined them, who was a student from Berkeley, California. Um, all right, we'll talk about Sam Marcy. Um, but so Peter Camejo and the SWP in the early sixties, you know, the SWP started to grow because there was kind of a left-wing shift in U S society, right? McCarthyism had broken. The civil rights movement had been going. Um, and there was kind of a leftward shift and people were going to civil rights demonstrations. And, you know, in Berkeley, uh, there's a very famous thing called the free speech movement. I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but in Berkeley, California, there were a lot of students at the university of Berkeley, university of California, Berkeley, who wanted to organize for civil rights, but the university made a policy. They said, you cannot organize for off-campus issues at on, on the Berkeley campus. And they said, that's ridiculous. We're students. We have the right to organize about any issues we want. And they said, nope, that's the rule at this college. No organizing about off-campus issues. So a guy named Jack Weinberg, who was a member of the Progressive Labor Party, he set up a literature table for civil rights, and the police came to arrest him, and they arrested him. And they put him in the cop car to arrest him. And thousands of students 
piled on top of the cop car and surrounded the cop car and wouldn't let the cop car drive away. Very famous incident, right? And they surrounded the cop car, they surrounded the police car, and they set up a, a speaker, like a microphone on top of the police car, and they had a rally that went for like 18 hours straight against, uh, in favor of free speech on college campuses. A very famous incident. Uh, it's called the Free Speech Movement of 1963. And Kamala Harris's parents were involved in it. And Bob Avakian was involved in it. I'll, I'll talk to you about that later. Right now, we're talking about the Spartacist theory. And it was this, this big protest demanding the right to organize around off-campus issues. Um, it was huge. Um, and, you know, uh, and then after they, they seized the police car and had a protest on top of the police car, uh, they seized one of the, the buildings at the university. They had a sit-in. They occupied one of the main buildings of the university, and they all got arrested and dragged out by police and beaten up. And, you know, there's a famous clip of uh, Mario Savio, uh, who was a leader of the free speech movement at Berkeley. He was a student at Berkeley. And he's, he was a young young guy, Mario Savio, Italian-American, and he, he, he gave a very famous speech. And he said, there comes a time when the operating of the machine becomes so odious that you can't take part. You can't even passively take part. And you've got to throw yourself upon the gears, on the wheels, and you've got to make clear to those who run it and to those who own it that unless you're free, the machine will be blocked from functioning at all or something like that will be prevented from functioning at all. Very famous clip of Mario Savio saying that, right? And the idea was that unless the students could get their free speech, unless they were allowed to organize on the college campuses, unless they were allowed to protest, uh, you know, they were going to, going to disrupt the university. They were going to seize cop cars. They were going to, you know, they were going to occupy buildings and they won ultimately. They were, they won. Um, you know, and the, the university was forced to back down and it let them organize off on off-campus issues. Very big moment. Um, you know, the Berkeley free speech movement and the Socialist Workers Party was part of that. One of their main leader's was a guy named Peter Camejo, who was a Venezuelan American. Venezuelan American. Um, so and he was I have no idea who that is. I have no idea who that is, LP. Um, um, it was a Venezuelan American named Peter Camejo, and he was part of the Socialist Workers Party, and he got arrested at Berkeley, was leader of the free speech movement. And, you know, so the Socialist Workers Party was a big group and they organized for civil rights. They, they boycotted stores that practiced segregation, right? There were a lot of stores in, you know, like Sears, for example. Sears had a lot of stores all over the country, but in the South, they wouldn't hire black people to work at Sears. So, uh, you know, the Communist Party and the Socialist Workers Party picketed Sears. Um, Precursor precursors to the Panthers. Oh, let's talk about that. Wow, that's pretty cool. We can definitely talk about that. Um, uh, precursors to the Panthers or other orbs in, in different communities. We'll talk about that too. There's plenty to talk about that. But so, you know, the Socialist Workers Party was this big group. And one thing was that the Communist Party in 1956, at their 1957 convention, the Communist Party said that they no longer uh, supported black nationalism. They didn't consider black people to be a nation. They considered black people to be, you know, working people that face discrimination because of their race. But they didn't consider the black people to be a nation, right? The Communist Party, they had their very famous black nation thesis where they said that black people are an oppressed nation uh, within U.S. borders. They have the right to their own territory with the Black Belt South, right? The Black Belt South was a big part of that. Um, well, 1957, the Communist Party changed their minds. They said, no, we don't support black nationalism. They started, sort of started supporting the civil rights movement. Dr. Martin Luther King 
They called for integration, even though some black nationalists didn't want integration, they wanted to separate, etc. So, but Malcolm X, you have to remember, Malcolm X was really rising in popularity throughout the 50s. The Nation of Islam, led by Elijah Muhammad, was growing. Malcolm X was their most famous spokesperson, the leader of the mosque in Harlem. So the Nation of Islam was growing to be more popular, right? Um, you know, it was, was going to be very, very popular. Um, and so the Socialist Workers' Party wanted to appear more radical than the Communist Party. They thought the Communist Party was too reformist. So they supported Malcolm X, and they supported black nationalism. Right? Do you reduce the concept of the deity to a pantheist model? Uh, okay. My concept of a deity. All right, wrote it down. And they supported black nationalism. The Socialist Workers' Party supported black nationalism, um, and they supported Malcolm X and black nationalism. And actually, still to this day, the writings of Malcolm X are owned by the Socialist Workers' Party. Uh, the Pathfinder Press, which is the publishing company owned by the Socialist Workers' Party, has the rights to all of Malcolm X's actual writings. Now, the autobiography of Malcolm X was not written by Malcolm X. It was written by Alex Haley. It was, Alex Haley was the ghostwriter. So that's different. But the actual writings of Malcolm X, Malcolm X speaks, Malcolm X speaks on black nationalism, Malcolm X speaks to young people. Those books are owned by, you know, the Pathfinder Press, uh, the Socialist Workers Party. And Malcolm X spoke at, um, at, 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 they had at the events the Socialist Workers Party would have, they were called militant labor forums. Those were events, um, you know, um, right? All right. Soros comparing she to Hitler, writing it down. Uh, you know, they had events called militant labor forums where they have speakers on current events. Um, and Malcolm X spoke at a militant labor forum. He was a guest speaker. And so the Socialist Workers Party was supporting Malcolm X and black nationalism. And the Socialist Workers Party also, they came up with what I think is a really silly position. And, you know, they were against the Soviet Union. They were against China. They thought China was Stalinist. Mao was a Stalinist. They thought the Soviet Union was Stalinist. They were supporting like protests against socialist countries. For some reason, they liked Cuba. They liked Cuba. They went to Cuba. They liked Cuba. They liked Fidel Castro. Why? I don't know. So the Socialist Workers Party, Farrell Dobbs, Peter Cameo, they liked Fidel. They didn't like the Soviet Union. They didn't like China. So they came up with this idea that the leaders of the Cuban, <laughs> so stupid. I, I mean, it's like, I'm sorry, but I mean, I try not to be an asshole, but they, can't, they, they declared that leaders, I can't even say it. It's so stupid. They declared that the leaders of Cuba were unconscious Trotskyists. All right. And that's offensive. All right. Do you, do you think that Che Guevara and Fidel Castro were idiots? Do you think that Fidel Castro couldn't read Trotsky's writings and decide whether or not he agreed with it? You know, Fidel Castro wasn't an idiot. Che Guevara was not an idiot. All right. These people knew how to read books. All right. And it was, it's like the most stupid condescending position ever. But yeah, the Socialist Workers Party said, oh, we like Cuba and they, they're Trotskyists. They just don't know it. They're unconscious Trotskyists, which is the dumbest. I mean, it's that you want to talk about white chauvinism. That's a great example of how stupid. I mean, if Fidel Castro doesn't think he's a Trotskyist, he's not a Trotskyist. Okay. If Che Guevara doesn't think he's a Trotskyist, he's not a Trotskyist. And I'm so, I mean, it's just ridiculous. But anyhow, the Socialist Workers Party decided that Cube, the Cubans were unconscious Trotskyists. They were Trotskyists and they didn't know it. You know? You know, you know, 
you know, yeah, that, wow, that is very offensive, says the racism of Latinos being ignorant. Yeah, basically, yeah, but, but no, Fidel is a Trotskyist. He just doesn't know it. Uh, you know, uh, Che Guevara is a Trotskyist. The Cuban Revolution is permanent revolution. It's the Trotsky. Carl Schmidt, all right, I'll write it down. You know, um, you know, the, the Cuban Revolution is, you know, is, you know, unconscious Trotskyism and whatever. Well, there was a faction in the Socialist Workers' Party led by James Robertson, a guy named James Robertson. They called him Jim Robertson. Um, very funny. Womp, womp, womp. But anyway, James Robertson was leader of the, of the Socialist Workers' Party, um, and he was a leader in the Socialist Workers' Party, and he didn't believe that. He didn't believe that Fidel Castro was an unconscious Trotskyist. He considered Cuba to be a Stalinist country, just like you know, Soviet Union, China, North Korea, et cetera, right? And he was correct. I mean, it's the same economic system, right? I mean, Cuba was, you know, pretty much the same economic system as Eastern Europe, pretty much the same as, as the Soviet Union. It was a Soviet-style socialist country, right? Um, and they also didn't support black nationalism. They felt like black nationalism was dividing the working class. It was supporting the bourgeoisie, the black bourgeoisie, and they wanted they, they, they argued for what they called revolutionary integrationism, which is the idea that, that you know, that workers, you know, that, that, that black workers and white workers should come together, but not in a bourgeois way, in a, in a socialist way. The socialist movement should bring them together, but they were against black nationalism. They didn't support, they didn't support Malcolm X, um, and they didn't support, uh, they didn't, they didn't think that Cuba was unconsciously Trotskyist. So they formed something called the revolutionary tendency, the RT, right? They formed the RT, the Revolutionary Tendency, uh, which was a faction in the Socialist Workers' Party that was, was saying that Cuba was not unconscious Trotskyists, and it was saying that black nationalism shouldn't be supported, but instead favoring revolutionary integrationism. So um, I think in 1966, they got kicked out of the Socialist Workers' Party. Um, and it's interesting because there's a, a lot of the people that were in the RT or the Revolutionary Tendency uh, were, you know, went on to be important. Uh, the World Socialist website, right? World Socialist website. Anyone, you know, it's a very important left-wing website in the United States. I don't agree with everything that they do, but they're very important. Um, you know, they they came out of that and they, form, they, they were part of the revolutionary tendency. When they got kicked out, they formed something called the Workers' League and now it's called the Socialist Equality Party. And they were part of that, that grouping that, that rejected that Fidel was an unconscious Trotskyist that didn't support black nationalism. The, the Workers' League, and now the World Socialist Website, Socialist Equality Party. Uh, 1963, Don is telling me. Forgive me, Don. Yeah, 1963. Sorry, I had the year wrong. 1963. And there was, a, there was another grouping that got kicked out um, that was led by, uh, that was led by um, uh, Clara Frazier. I believe it was Clara Frazier's husband, uh, Richard Frazier. Uh, Richard Frazier had developed the theory of revolutionary integrationism. And his wife, Clara Frazier, was very charismatic. And they broke away from the Socialist Workers' Party. They were part of the Revolutionary Tendency, 1963. They got kicked out and they formed something called the Freedom Socialist Party. And they're, they, they were very big in Seattle. Uh, I think they have an office in New York City also. The, the FSP, the Freedom Socialist Party. And that was led by Clara Frazier. And uh, I think she ended up divorcing Richard Frazier. But, but that was another faction that broke away as part of the Revolutionary Tendency of the Socialist Workers' Party. And then uh, Lyndon LaRouche, uh, Lyndon LaRouche, he was still a Trotskyist, a Marxist at that point. He called himself Lynn Marcus. That was his party name in the Socialist Workers' Party. And he broke away uh, from the Socialist Workers' Party. He was part of the revolutionary tendency also, Lyndon LaRouche. 
Um, and we know Lyndon LaRouche is no longer a Marxist. They have the Schiller Institute, et cetera. So the, Lyndon LaRouche, she broke away. But the people who broke away from the Socialist Workers' Party in 1963, led by James Robertson, they formed the Spartacist League. And the Spartacist League is a, and I guess they're still around, uh, they're a Trotskyist organization in the United States. And they, they are what you might call orthodox Trotskyists. I divide Trotskyism into three categories. You have mainline Trotskyism, which is like the Socialist Workers' Party, like Socialist Alternative. They tend to do labor work. They tend to, tend to support socialist countries, but not really. You know, but kind of support them, but not really. And they do labor work. It's mainline Trotskyism. You have what's called neo-Trotskyism. And neo-Trotskyism is, um, is like kind of a new left philosophy. They reject all the socialist countries as, as state capitalist or whatever. And then you have this other category of orthodox Trotskyism. And orthodox Trotskyism is groups that really hold on to what uh, Trotsky said. They follow Trotsky to the letter. Um, you know, they follow Trotsky to the letter and, you know, and the Spartacist League, uh, is one of those groups. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they're, they're very, they take a lot of stances in favor of sexual freedom, uh, you know, and they have been, they've been criticized, uh, they've defended at, at some points, they, they've been widely criticized for defending the right of like pedophile organizations to participate in gay, gay pride parades. They've gotten widely criticized for that. Um, you know, and they, they publish a lot of polemics in their paper. Their newspaper was famous for criticizing other parties. That was what they were known for. Um, and I believe at one point they said that they consider themselves to be the vanguard of the vanguard. You know, that was kind of like their job was to kind of keep the other communist groups in line by exposing them and stuff. And I mean, that's, that's respectable, but yeah, they're a Trotskyite group, the social, uh, the, the Spartacist League, right. And they come out of the split in the socialist workers party in 1963 um, there's a split in the Socialist Workers Party in 1963 um, around the issue of um, uh, revolutionary integrationism and the issue of Cuba being a deformed worker state and not an unconscious Trotskyism. Um, and they also, you know, you have to give them credit because they supported Mumia before anybody else did. Uh, Mumia Abu Jamal, uh, who was a political prisoner, I mean, he's on, you know, he was on death row and now he's just in regular prison in, in Pennsylvania, but. You know, the journalist and Black Panther, Mumia Abu-Jamal, they were the first group to protest in support of Mumia Abu-Jamal. Um, and so that's something that I can give the Spartacists credit for doing, right? Um, you know, no. Um, and um, was he? I've never heard that before. I have never heard that before. I have never heard that. Jim Cramer of Mad Money was in the Spartacist League. I've never heard that before. Um, I know that Stephen Colbert uh, was at one point a member of the International Socialist Organization. And there was a joke about the Spartacist League, um, Free Mumia, absolutely. And they were the first to march for him. So you've got to give them credit for that. That is really, that's really an achievement. And that's something to be recognized. At one point, Mumia's lawyer was a Spartacist named Rachel Wolkenstein, uh, who I've met before. I, I met her at demonstrations uh, that I went to around the case of Lynn Stewart. And Rachel Wolkenstein was a you know, is a, it was a Spartacist and she was the lawyer of Mumia for a while. And, um, but, um, but, uh, but the, the Spartacist league, um, there, uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted there for a moment. There was a joke about them on the office at one point. Have you ever watched the show, the office? Um, there's a very, there's a scene in the office, uh, where two guys are in a car. Uh, it's, uh, the boss who's played by, uh, it's like Michael Scott, who's the boss on the office. And, Dwight Schrute, who's kind of this nerdy guy who kind of idealizes the boss. And uh, the two of them, uh, they were on the office. Um, 
you know, oh, wow, someone's texting me and telling me Jim Cramer was a spark. So there you go. Uh, there you go. Um, and, um, you know, um, so, you know, on The Office, on an episode of The Office, very famous, and thank you, the person who texted me. Oh, I had never heard that before. I never knew that Jim Cramer was a Spartacist. That is, that's a new one. Uh, but on The Office, you watch The Office, there's a scene where Michael Scott, the, the, the boss on The Office, and Dwight Schrute, who's kind of the nerdy guy in The Office, they're driving and it's morning. And he says to him, he says, do you want to go to IHOP or Denny's? That's the joke, right? Do you want to go to IHOP or Denny's? Um, and Dwight, um, and, and he says, come on. He says, we're going to go to IHOP, not Denny's. And Dwight, um, Dwight turns to him and says, you socialist. And that's a reference to the fact that the Spartacist League was picketing Denny's around the country. In the early 90s, the Spartacist League had picketed Denny's. Um, you know, did you know that? Um, 2016 coup against, uh, against, against uh, 2016 against marijuana. All right. And yeah, in the early 90s, the Spartacist League protested Denny's, right? Denny's is very busy on Sunday mornings. And so they would protest against Denny's. Um, uh, they had a picket line. That was one thing they did in the early 90s is they protested Denny's because Denny's had a history of racism. There was a very famous incident where uh, a number of African-American men went to Denny's. Uh, they were turned away. Um, and the, the Denny's, uh, you know, racist Denny's, you know, bosses that turned them away, I didn't realize they were black FBI agents. And that was an incident that got Denny's a lot of bad press and that Denny's was notorious for racism, right? They wouldn't, they wouldn't seat black people. They would try to turn away black families because they thought that, oh, you know, white people won't shop, won't, won't eat at Denny's if black people are allowed in. And, and Denny's was notoriously racist and discriminating against people. So the Spartacist League had picket lines outside of Denny's. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, that was a good thing they did. And it was referenced on an episode of The Office, which I think is hilarious. But yeah, yeah, the fact that, you know, Dwight Schrute calls Michael Scott, he says, you socialist. Well, that refers to the fact that a socialist group, the Spartacist League, was protesting against Denny's. Uh, you know, so there you go. And that's kind of an inside joke there. Um, but there you go. They also had an inside joke about the Workers' World Party at one point on on the the uh, the office. He starts a group called Fist, which was the youth group of the Workers' World Party. Fight imperialism, stand together. And he asks him what kind of group is Fist, and he says, "Oh, you know, it's kind of like the Black Panthers or communism." You know, so you know, apparently somebody who worked at the office or one of the writers or something was a leftist. Was somebody who was on one of these leftist list serves or something? Um, you know, I think there's a leftist email list called leftist train spotters. And it's just like people who kind of keep up with all the gossip about what communist groups are doing. And clearly somebody who, who wrote for the office. I mean, and I believe that show was written like by the actors. It was kind of written, the actors wrote it. It was, and, um, so somebody at the office was somebody who's one of these like people who follows all the leftist gossip. Um, and you know, that show was, that was coming out. That was, you know, around the early Obama years, I remember. And yeah, there were like, there were some inside, inside jokes, right? They had a joke about the Spartacist league. They had a joke about, about, um, so whatever, but anyway, so that, that's the Spartacist league, right? Trotskyist group, they published workers Vanguard as their newspaper. They were the first to protest for Mumia. Uh, they were the, um, they were, you know, they were, um, they were a split from the socialist workers party as part of the revolutionary tendency led by James Robertson. That's the Spartacist League. I hope that's helpful, Gabby. Now, the Bobovakian people. It's funny that they're known as the Bobovakian people. They're called the Revolutionary Communist Party. 
And back to Berkeley. Remember Berkeley? Berkeley, 1963. You had the, um, you know, you had the, the, uh, the free speech movement. Well, in Berkeley, uh, in Berkeley, there was a young man uh, who was a college student at the time, and his name was Bob Avakian. And he was his parents were immigrants from Armenia, and uh, his father was a was a judge was a judge who was on the California State Supreme Court and was on the Berkeley School Board. His father was a very prominent, high achieving judge, and uh, Bob went to UC Berkeley, and Bob Avakian got involved in the free speech movement, and he was involved in you know organizing to support the Black Panthers among white people. Um, you know, the Black Panthers were for black people only, but there were a lot of white supporters of the Black Panther Party. So Bob Avakian was part of the Peace and Freedom Party, which was started as kind of a group of white people who supported the Black Panthers. And Bob Avakian, um, you know, he, you know, he was he was somebody who was, um, you know, from the Bay Area, family from Armenia, um, very prominent kind of wealthy family in Berkeley. Um, and he organized college students and others, and he was very pro-China. He went to China. He liked China. Uh, and he got to be friends with a guy. Um, I'm trying to remember the, the guy's name. Uh, what was his name? The guy, oh, Label Bergman. So there was this guy who'd been a leader of the Communist Party in the 1930s named Label Bergman. And he was like the, the head of the Communist Party of Montana. And how many members does the Communist Party of Montana have, right? Are there a lot of communists in Montana? Um, but, but yeah, uh, you know, the communist party of Montana, the guy who'd been the head of the communist party of Montana in the 1930s was a guy named Label Bergman and Label Bergman and Bob became good buddies. Label Bergman was an older dude who'd been in CQSA and was head of CQSA of Montana. And, um, you know, Bob Avakian was a young, young activist. They became friends. They started something called the Bay Area Radical Union, uh, B-A-R-U, Baru, right? And eventually, they formed a national organization called the Revolutionary Union, the RU. Um, and it was a group that supported the Black Panthers. And the Black Panthers had told their allies, right, you know, that, that they should go and organize the working class, right, organize in white communities, organize white workers to be anti-imperialist and organize white workers to be anti-racist. And, you know, Fred Hampton, he famously urged, uh, he, Fred Hampton rejected the weathermen. The weather underground, they were all about street fighting and, and violence and bombings and stuff. And the Black Panthers said, don't do that. No left adventurism. What they said was instead, um, you know, go and organize your own people. Go and organize white people to be anti-racist and to be anti-imperialist. And so the Revolutionary Union was a group that, um, you know, that did that, uh, the RU they were called. And Bob Avakian was the leader of the RU. Bob Avakian went on a speaking tour. He went, went around the country. You know, it used to, at, at that point, from what I understand, in most, at most major colleges and universities, there was a collective, a Marxist-Leninist collective, right? Because a lot of young people were getting interested in communism very quickly, right? And they were supporting the Black Panthers. And they were supporting the Vietnamese. They were reading Mao's Little Red Book. And around most college campuses, you had these little communist groups. There'd be 10, 12 students who liked communism and hung out and read the little red book. They usually lived together. They were like a collective. So Bob went around the country, you know, all over the country, you know, you know, going around the country, trying to recruit these little collectives to join the revolutionary union. And then, um, you know, and then in 19, uh, in, I believe it was 1970 or maybe 1969, there was an oil workers strike in Richmond County, California. 
and the oil workers went on strike. So Bob Avakian went to the labor union and he said, I'm going to organize a group of students that will come down and support you on the picket line. So Bob Avakian put out like a national call. He bought ads in newspapers and he called, he said, if you're a young communist, you got to come to Richmond County to support the oil workers. And thousands of young people did, right? This was the 1960s. The economy was much better. And a lot of young people quit their jobs and a lot of young people, you know, dropped out of school and they, they drove to California and they supported the oil workers. Um, and that was kind of how the Revolutionary Union got going. It was Bob, you know, and Bob was very charismatic back in those days. I mean, now, not so much. You listen to him now, he's not a very good speaker. But back in those days, he was a younger guy. He was quite charismatic. And he said, you know, now is the moment we got to combine the student radical movement with the working class. And, and you know, he built, he built this, uh, this group, the Revolutionary Union. They went to support the oil workers' strike in Richmond, uh, Richmond California. Um, eventually, in 1975, uh, the... The Revolutionary Union declared itself to be the Revolutionary Communist Party. They changed, they officially declared in 1975 they were the, the Revolutionary Communist Party, the RCP. Um, but then, um, you know, and then I, they had a really big demonstration against, uh, in 1976, they had the, the bicentennial, right? The, you know, the, the Declaration of Independence had been signed in 1776. So the 200 year anniversary in Philadelphia, there was this big ceremony, you know. So, the RCP had a big protest in Philadelphia called, we've carried the rich for 200 years, now let's dump them off our backs. And they did all kinds of crazy stuff. Their members went to the Statue of Liberty and they like unfurled a banner from the Statue of Liberty that said, we've carried the rich for 200 years, now let's dump them off our backs. Like seriously, that's, that's pretty courageous. People went to jail for a long time. Um, and they, um, you know, they, they did a lot of very exciting stuff and they built a demonstration. They had 5,000 people marching through the streets of Philadelphia in this big rally, uh, called we've carried the rich for 200 years. Now let's dump them off our backs. And, uh, there's a very famous photograph from that rally of veterans, of Vietnam veterans marching in their army uniforms and they're marching and they have a banner that says, we won't fight another rich man's war. And I think that's really cool. That's really cool. So the RCP you know, all of these groups, you know, I, I'm out of the movement to the masses. I think we need something new. But all of these groups, you know, they, they have to give them credit, all right? As much as these groups over the years have gotten ineffective and all of that, you know, you have to give them credit. And the RCP, 1976, they got 5,000 people to march through the streets. You know, we've carried the rich for 200 years. Now let's dump them off our backs. That's awesome. And, you know, and they, they unfurled their banner that said, you know, we've carried the rich, had veterans, like hundreds of soldiers you know, Vietnam vets marching, we won't fight another rich man's war. Badass. Awesome. Great. I respect that. Um, the RCP was a little bit controversial. Uh, one of the things the RCP did that they got a lot of shit for uh, was that they supported the anti-busing riots, right? There were like some racist riots against busing in Boston. And they supported them on the grounds that like busing's not the answer communism is. And so they supported these kind of racist riots. And a lot of people said that wasn't cool. Um, they were the RCP. RCP um, and uh, the Revolutionary Communist Party. Uh, but 1976, Mao died, and then Deng Xiaoping came to power. And so then the RCP split. And they split. The official reason was would they keep supporting China or not? Um, that was the official reason, but it was about more than that. It was really about Baba Vakian's cult of personality. Um, and that, you know, that some of the people in the RCP wanted to build community organizations, they wanted to build labor unions and stuff. And other people in the RCP just kind of wanted to, you know, wanted to worship Baba Vakian 
and spread communism. Uh, and you know, there was a split. Um, and, uh, the people who broke away from the RCP, they were called the revolutionary worker headquarters, the RWH. They were led by Mickey Jarvis. Um, and now they've merged into what's now called the freedom road socialist organization. Um, and the RCP, you know, they denounced China. And then when Deng Xiaoping came to the white house, uh, in New York or in, in 1979, when Carter was president and the USA officially established diplomatic relations with China. They led a demonstration called Death to Deng Xiaoping. Um, and it was a very violent demonstration. I mean, a lot of people got injured and hurt. And I mean, uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty ugly. It was a pretty ugly demonstration. Um, and uh, after that demonstration, uh, uh, Bob Avakian was facing criminal charges. Uh, he fled the country uh, and he moved to France. And he led the RCP from exile in France. Um, and the RCP, at that point, they argued that the labor movement, they didn't support most U.S. workers. They argued that most U.S. workers were what they called bourgeoisified. So they only supported the poorest of the poor. They supported poor people in Appalachia. And they supported uh, poor people like urban African-American folks who were deeply impoverished. They supported Chicanos, but they argued that most white Americans were bourgeoisified. And that, you know, because they owned their own home, they owned a house, they owned a car, they weren't really proletarian. Uh, they weren't exploited. Um, and so they, they, they supported and they said it was only the lumpen proletariat, which that, you know, low income workers are not lumpen proletarians. Lumpen proletarians means criminal elements, but that's based on their, the, their interpretation of, of the Black Panthers and such. They argued that only the lumpen proletariat had revolutionary potential. Um, so they organized around police brutality and I will give them credit for that. They, they, for years, decades, they protested police brutality. That was amazing. Um, they, they work around police brutality they did over the years. They were very consistent with that. Um, they were the RCP. Uh, and in uh, 2004, Bob Avakian came back from France, and they were like leading a campaign to impeach George W. Bush. Um, and now they're just kind of, I mean, they, they, they endorsed Joe Biden. They said to vote for Joe Biden. And they've kind of, you know, again, these groups, they did good stuff in their time. But, you know... I mean, at this point, they, they support Biden and the cult of personality around Avakian. They wear T-shirts with Bob Avakian's face on them, uh, you know, uh, you know, and it's it's whatever. I mean, it's kind of sad. There's not much left of it. But then again, I mean, these groups, they all did good things in their time. OK, but we're in a new time now and we need political innovation. That's why I'm building the Center for Political Innovation. They were a they were a pretty big communist group in the 70s. In the 70s, they had maybe 5000 people. Uh, now. Not so much. Now, you know, I, I'd be surprised if they have 100 people, you know, but they, you know, it's Bob Avakian's group. Very much Bob Avakian is the leader. You know, they say, follow Bob Avakian. Bob Avakian has transcended. He's better than Marx, Lenin, and now he's got this new synthesis of communism that no, no one can understand. And, you know, it's, it's, that's the RCP. So, Gabby, those are the two groups that you heard about at the demonstration, the Spartacist League. I told you about the Spartacist League. I told you about the RCP. Very funny story. I had a college professor, a college professor when I was in college. Very funny story. Uh, he was a Southern man, but he had like an aristocratic Southern accent. He was from a very like, wealthy Southern family. He was a history professor at the college I went to. And he said, young man, you ought to join the ISO, which was the International Socialist Organization. 
And I, I just thought it was the funny. Young man, if I was your age, I would join the ISO, the International Socialist Organization. Why, they are amazing. They are neo-Trotskyists. They, they, they don't support that Soviet state capitalism. They are amazing. They are amazing. They are the best communist group ever. I, I, would, I would just, it was really funny. And, and then I remember one time he said, I heard that there's a Stalinist group out there called the RCP, the Revolutionary Communist Party. And they're kind of a communist group like the ISO, except they don't support, they, 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 they think Mao was good, even though Mao was a Stalinist. Uh, and then they're called the Revolutionary Communist Party. And I just, I just was sitting there, I was just like cracking up. It was really funny to me. And then he also said to me, and he said, and I heard there's another group called the Spartacist League. The Spartacist League, and they're kind of like the RCP, except without the Mao. They're like Trotskyists, but they're like the RCP. And I just, I was, I, it was hard for me not to die laughing when he said that to me. But yes, he told me that I ought to join the ISO because they're a spectacular organization and that there's another group called the RCP and they're Stalinists. They like Mao. And then there's a group called the Spartacist League and they're kind of like the RCP except without the Mao, without the Mao. Uh, that was, yeah, that was a great moment in my, my post-secondary experience when I had a, a, a college professor with a Southern accent informed me that I should join the ISO and that there was another group called the RCP that were Stalinists. And then there was the Spartacist League that was like the RCP, but without the Mao. They were without the Mao. I mean, it was, it's funny, you know, when people say Southern accent, there are many different Southern accents and that, that accent, like gone with the wind kind of, you know, I do declare Captain Butler. That's the way this guy talked. And, uh, it was very, very funny. Um, you know, you know, all professors are in the ISO or the BSA. It's mandatory. Wah, wah, wah. Well, that's actually not true. Uh, I had a lot of conservative professors when I was in college. I went to this awful college in Ohio that no one should ever go to. But, um, but, uh, but you know, um, at this point, ISO is part of the DSA, right? The International Socialist Organization, uh, the, uh, the, what is it? The International Socialist Tendency, Haymarket Books. They're part of the DSA. They're part of Democratic Socialists of America now. So, uh, if you're in the ISO, you're also in the DSA, so they're in both. But there you go. Yeah, there you go. Good times, folks. Good times. That was probably a longer answer than Gabby wanted, but you know, you all love that, don't you? You all love that. You know you love it. You know you love it. When I start talking commie inside baseball, little tiny communist group you've never heard of, and this is why they split from another tiny communist group that you've never heard of, you love it. You love it. You know you love it. You can't get enough of it, you know, so... That's why you're here. You want to hear me talk commie inside baseball. And that's one thing that I can do very, very well. But, you know, we want to be mass. We want to be able to get out of the movement to the masses. We want to be able to explain these things to the broad masses. But every so often, we have to just just go down a rabbit hole. And you asked for it, and you got it. So there you go. All right. Lenin's definition of imperialism versus the colloquial one. Lenin's definition of imperialism versus the colloquial one. Well, I think a lot of people think of imperialism as being synonymous with colonialism. I think it's when one country invades another country, when one country attacks another country. That's what imperialism is. Uh, but no, imperialism is a system. Thank you, Gleb, for the super chat. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you liked my, my remarks, Don. You're a very valued member of this community. And I'm glad you appreciated them. Um, and thank you for the super chat, Gleb. Um, but uh, Lenin's definition of imperialism is that it's an economic system. Imperialism is a system where uh, the economy of the world is dominated by Wall Street banks and London banks and, and big financial institutions based in Western countries, and that these financial institutions carve out the world as spheres of development 
uh, you know, they, they carve up the world as spheres of influence and they hold back economic development in the countries that they, they seize, right? That it's about how the world is partitioned by big banks and corporations, the dominance of finance capital over industrial capital, um, and it's big banks and cartels and monopolies, syndicates and trusts in the West dominate the global economy and hold back economic development. That's what imperialism is. It is, the, it is an economic relationship that Western capitalism has with the world. They are holding back development. They are keeping the world poor in order to, you know, in order to stay rich. Uh, Wall Street and London are keeping the world poor in order to stay rich. And this global setup is called imperialism. Imperialism is not a policy. Imperialism is not a verb. It's a noun. It's a global system in which countries are impoverished and people around the world are kept poor to you know, keep a, 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 a financial ruling class of oligarchs and bankers wealthy. And um, there you go. There you go. All right. The Iraqi Ba'ath aligned with the USSR. Um, yeah, the Ba'ath Party was was pretty pro-Soviet, especially in Iraq. Um, but not always. There were times that the Ba'ath in Iraq and the Soviets were not on good terms. And the same in Syria, right? And that the Ba'ath, when they took power, right, they, there was a coup against Qasem, right? Qasem was a, an Iraqi leader who was kind of pro-Soviet. So when they took power, they were kind of against Qasem. Um, but in a way, a lot of their criticisms of the Iraqi Communist Party and Qasem were they were more radical, right? They wanted more radical stuff. And uh, my good friend, uh, Nick, with Flame of Liberation, can get into great detail. He's always sending me Ba'ath documents. He knows all about Ba'athist Arab socialism and history. Um, but yeah, in a lot of ways, the Ba'ath was more radical, but they were a pro-Soviet party, and they received weapons from the Soviet Union. They were armed by the Soviet Union. Um, so there you go. You know, uh, there you go. Um, you know, and they may not have taken a shower, but they always had a Ba'ath. But a bump, bump. Anyway, that's not funny, right? It's probably offensive. I shouldn't make jokes like that. All right. All right. Um, Ba'ath means rebirth in Arabic, right? And Ba'athism was a political movement that was started by um, Michel Aflaq. Michel Aflaq was a member of the Syrian Communist Party. Um, and basically, during the Popular Front period, the Syrian Communist Party was told that they shouldn't fight the French colonizers anymore. Syria was colonized by France. Um, it's a great channel. Flame of Liberation is very, very good. Check it out. Um, but Syria was colonized by France, and France was aligned with the United States and, and the Soviet Union against fascism during World War II. And because of that, um, you know, the Syrian communists were saying, don't fight French colonialism, only fight, only fight fascism. And so Michel Aflaq quit the Syrian Communist Party, and he started, uh, he started his own party called Ba'ath, Ba'ath Arab Socialism, Ba'athist Arab Socialism, which means renaissance or rebirth, right? And it was a party of socialism for the Arab people because they argued that the common turn and their, their policies were not, you know, correct for the Arab people. And, Mich and Michel Aflac was a Syrian Christian. Um, and he was an atheist, a communist atheist, but he be became a Muslim because he understood that Islam was the soul of the Arab people. And that if he was going to, you know, have a socialism that, that you know, that, that was Arabist and, and understood Arabism and understood the Arab people, it needed to be it needed to be Islamic. And so he converted to Islam. He was for a secular government, but you know, that he himself understood that Islam was part of the soul of the Arab people. Very fascinating. Um, Ba'athism is very fascinating to me. And yes, there was the Iraqi Ba'ath and Michel Aflaq eventually joined the Iraqi Ba'ath. And now there's the Syrian Ba'ath, which is the ruling party. Um, oh, Peter Coffin's here. Very good. I'm sure they just had a great broadcast. I'm going to watch it afterwards. Um, uh, you know, this, the Syrian Ba'ath, um, you know, they they are still in power in Syria. That's the party of Bashar Assad. Um, so there you go. All right. 
NATO and its relationship with Russia and Ukraine. Well, NATO is a military alliance, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It was formed after World War II. It's an anti-communist bloc. It's an anti-communist alliance um, that was formed after World War II uh, to reduce the role and, and power and influence of, of the Soviet Union in Eastern Europe. And it's been expanding eastward uh, ever since the fall of the Soviet Union, even though James Baker promised the Soviet Union and, and Russia that they would not expand further east. Uh, they have, uh, even though the German foreign minister also promised them NATO would not expand further east. It's a military alliance. The NATO countries buy weapons from the United States. They have U.S. troops and military troops stationed in their countries, and they keep getting closer and closer to Russia's border. And Russia's not happy about that. And in Ukraine, uh, you know, the Ukrainian government was toppled uh, in a, a protest movement staged by the USA. The USA funded all these NGOs to destabilize Ukraine and overthrow the Ukrainian government. And uh, as a result of that, um, you know, Ukraine is in crisis. There's talk of Ukraine joining NATO. And Russia is saying that's a red line. They will not tolerate that. They don't want a, a US-led military alliance right at their border. And it's a perfectly logical thing to ask for. So there you go. All right. Uh, was Muammar Gaddafi trying to start a world revolution funding rebel groups? No. Mugar Gaddafi was engaging in internationalism. He, he had broken Libya out of capitalism and imperialism, a colonized nation of Libya, and he, he put them on the road to socialism. And so he supported the Irish people. He gave guns to the provisional IRA to, for them to do that. And Gaddafi, you know, he, he supported the Palestinians and their struggle. So he gave guns to them to, for them to do that. And Gaddafi, he gave uh, support to the Black Panthers in the United States. Millions of dollars he gave to the Black Panthers and the Nation of Islam in the United States. Um, and Gaddafi supported all kinds of groups. He was an anti-imperialist and he was a revolutionary. Um, you know, he wasn't a Marxist. He believed in, um, in what he called Islamic socialism. Thank you, Saverino Balani, for the super chat. Much appreciated. He was, um, he was, a, um, he was an Islamic uh, socialist. He called his system like Kibism. You can read about it in the Green Book. But he was an internationalist. He was a big supporter of the African National Congress and Nelson Mandela. Uh, Gaddafi was a supporter of oppressed people around the world fighting for their freedom. Um, and that's admirable. And no, he wasn't trying to spark a world revolution so much as he was trying to be an anti-imperialist and be in solidarity. He was very friendly with the Soviet Union. He actually wanted the Soviet Union to join the Warsaw Pact in the 80s. And he declared that Libya's goal was eventually to have a stateless, classless society and have communism. So there you go. All right. Organized labor and organized crime. What about Jimmy Hoffa and the Teamsters? Well, you know, there's a very good movie. You know, if you want to, if you want to kind of get some perspective, I mean, it's a fictional movie, so don't base, you know, historical facts on a fictional movie. There's a movie called Fist, uh, and it stars, uh, it stars um, uh, Sylvester Stallone, right? And it's about, you know, it's about the Teamsters, basically, but it's called Fist, Federation of Interstate Truckers. And it shows that, you know, the bosses were very ruthless. Uh, they were very vicious to the Teamsters. The Teamsters organized truck drivers to demand their rights. Um, and, you know, in response to that, the bosses, you know, murdered them and killed them and, and, you know, threatened them. And so, you know, it was the Trotskyites in Minneapolis who organized the Teamsters strike in Minneapolis in 1934. And they said no scab trucks. And they, they had to, you know, they had to use militant tactics. And so they, you know, they, they, the way, what they did during the Teamsters strike of 1934 is the only trucks they allowed on the road were trucks that had a pass from the union. If you didn't have a union union pass in your window, uh, they they had baseball bats and they bashed out the windows of your truck. Um, you know, um, and that's how they, it was. No scab trucks. It was it was militant unionism. Make Minneapolis a union town. It was a very very you know. I mean, that's not legal. It was rough and tough. You know, labor militancy. 
and the the Teamsters, uh, the Teamsters, uh, you know, they they unionized uh, the you know the Minneapolis truck drivers, and the, but they used you know illegal tactics. They were militant, right? Uh, I think the Spartacist League, since we were talking about them, they used to have a great bumper sticker and had a picture of a baseball bat and said, "When labor plays hardball, workers win." And you get people forget that that you know the labor movement they didn't unionize. The steel industry. They didn't unionize the uh, the auto industry. They didn't organize the truck drivers. They didn't organize them by playing nice. I mean, they had to engage in illegal tactics. The bosses were assassinating them, shooting them down on the pic- on the picket line, locking them in jail. And so the labor movement, the labor movement involved a lot of militancy on the picket line. Read about in West Virginia and you know what the Appalachian miners had to do to fight for their rights. And so yes. In order to fight for their rights, the workers had to engage in illegal tactics. And yes, they bashed out the windows of, of scab trucks. And, uh, you know, they carried guns on the picket lines. And that, yeah, the Teamsters were very radical. And in the 1930s, the Teamsters were led by Trotskyites. But then during World War II, the Trotskyites were against World War II, so they all went to prison. And so then the Teamsters Union was taken over by Republicans, basically. Very interesting. The Communist Party supported Roosevelt. Communist Party supported Roosevelt. And so the Trotskyites, of course, they have to do the opposite of whatever the Communist Party did. So they're like, oh, that's popular front, Stalinism, Roosevelt, you know, we can't support him. You know, so they didn't support Roosevelt, right? So, you know, the unions that were aligned with the Communist Party, like the United Auto Workers and stuff, they supported Roosevelt. And the union, the Teamsters Union, tended to be, and still to this day, I mean, not really anymore, but, but in the 60s and 70s, the Teamsters were a Republican union because they'd been against Roosevelt. And the Miners' Union, too. John L. Lewis, the leader of the Miners' Union, had also been a Republican. Um, and that, you know, the labor unions that, that the CPUSA was tight with were part of the Popular Front with Roosevelt, the Popular Front Against Fascism. And it was the, you know, the Teamsters' Union and the, um, the Teamsters' Union and the Mine Workers' Union, they tended to be Republicans because they were, they were against Roosevelt. And the Trotskyites were with the Republican unions. And the Communist Party, they were with you know, they were with the, the Democrat unions, right? And so the Trotskyites, they were against World War II, right? They were against Roosevelt. They were against World War II. They went to prison. So the Republicans in the Teamsters Union took over. Jimmy Hoffa was one of those Republicans. He was a Republican. He was a conservative. Um, but he was a labor union guy. And, you know, back until like the 80s, one could be a Republican and be a union guy. I mean, you know, Richard Nixon, you know, was a big supporter of labor unions. And I mean, he, you know, I mean, that wasn't a big supporter of labor unions, but he was a supporter of the Teamsters Union. He, he, you know, pardoned Jimmy Hoffa, let Jimmy Hoffa out of jail. And, and the Kennedys were Democrats. The Kennedys hated the Teamsters, right? They investigated them for corruption, et cetera, right? Whereas, you know, the Kennedys, they had their unions that they supported, right? That were probably just as corrupt. So, you know, it was kind of, this is how politics works is there's, you know, there's, you know, turf wars, et cetera. Um, you know, and yeah, the, the Teamsters were a Republican union. Jimmy Hoffa was the leader of them. Uh, and Jimmy Hoffa was very charismatic, very charismatic guy. You know, if you bought it, a truck brought it. Uh, that was his slogan. He was a household name. He was a celebrity. Everybody knew Jimmy Hoffa. And, you know, and yes, he was tied to organized crime. And the, but that goes back to the 30s when the communists and the Trotskyite, they, they, truck drivers had to fight dirty. The bosses were shooting them on the picket lines. They brought guns to the picket line, and when the bosses shot at them, they shot back. And they made alliances with the mafia, and they did. They fought dirty, right? And, you know, um, you know, when labor plays hardball, workers win, as they say. And, yes, the Teamsters knew how to fight dirty, and part of fighting dirty was entering alliance with, with other illegal people. And, you know, 
when the communists were kicked out of the Teamsters Union, when the Trotskyites took over the Teamsters Union, uh, the Trotskyites, or uh, when the Trotskyites were kicked out of the Teamsters Union, and, and it became more of a Republican Union, um, you know, the corruption remained, right? The ability to fight dirty and, and all of that. Look, I mean, you know, people tell stories, you know, I mean, I mean, that was the funny thing. When I first got interested in communism, you know, no one in my family ever thought of it. But I'd go to a family gathering and I'd ask them about strikes and the Teamsters, and I'd hear old old relatives of mine would tell stories about breaking windows. And we, we found out the bar that the scabs were at and we went there with our bats and beat the shit out of them. And, you know, I mean, you know, labor militancy used to be a big part of working class life in America and not just in the thirties in the sixties in the seventies. Right. I mean, it used to be that working class people who voted for Republicans who went to church every Sunday were conservative. They understood that on the job, you know, on the job, they had to fight tough. They had to get tough. And if your boss is cracking down on you, you got to be tough, right? Uh, that was that was that we don't have that consciousness now. A lot of people I know don't even know what a labor union is. You know, I've met a lot of people who don't know what a labor union is. Um, very few workers in the United States are in unions, and the union movement itself has just become kind of a fundraising operation for the Democratic Party. That's really all they do. Is you you're in a union, you pay dues, and you know, and then the the dues go to support the Democrats and you know campaign for Hillary Clinton. But the labor movement, you know, historically, labor unions were tough and they, you know, they got stuff done. And Jimmy Hoffa, yeah, he organized, he aligned with organized crime and he was ruthless. And, you know, um, you know, um, there you go. I mean, that was Jimmy Hoffa, right? And that, yeah, the Teamsters did that. And I mean, I'm not endorsing that. I would never encourage anyone to do anything illegal. Um, never. I mean, I'm, I'm for peaceful, legal, democratic struggle, but I'm just telling people that, yes, I mean, historically, yeah, you're right. You know, the Teamsters, was there a relationship with organized crime? Yep. Were there, you know, were there militant tactics used on the picket line? Absolutely. And that's what workers were faced with doing when they were, you know, being, you know, beaten up and killed, you know, by the bosses. Um, and people, people forget that. So there you go. There you go. All right. Um, so there you go. All right. Next question. Uh, well, how was Sam Marcy a tanky and a Trotskyite? The ideology of the Workers' World Party made sense in the mind of one man, Sam Marcy. I've heard about it. You know, the older members talked about they would have a national committee meeting and Sam Marcy would speak for five hours at the beginning of it and just go on and on and on. And Sam Marcy's ideology was very, very unique. Let me just put it that way. He had his own interpretation of Trotsky. Um, you know, he was the one true Trotskyist in the world. All the other Trotskyists were counter-revolutionaries and anti-communists and you know, Marcyism is a very weird historical phenomenon. I encourage you to go read the article I wrote about it. Uh, Marcyism, uh, it's called Marcyism. What is it? Uh, the masses of the water and the failure of late Marcyism. Go read that article and you'll learn all about it. And I did a podcast too called The Legend of Sam Marcy. Go listen to that as well. I'm sure. And, and, you know, if you don't agree with this, there are Marcyites watching this right now. If you don't agree with it, write your own history, right? Write your own. You know, I, I never met Sam Marcy. Did you know that? I never met Sam Marcy. So, you know, there are probably people who read my history and said, well, you got this wrong, Caleb, you got that wrong, Caleb, go and write your own documents, right? Um, go and write your own documents. And honestly, you know, I mean, Marcy did the best he could on some level, right? And when the U.S. economy was booming, uh, when there was a big aristocracy of labor, it was very hard to organize in working class communities. And maybe I didn't give Marcy enough credit, right? Maybe I didn't give Sam Marcy enough credit, right? Maybe, um, maybe Sam Marcy, um, you know, um, you know, maybe, maybe he did the best he could during the time. But the problem I have with Marcyism is that now in this time, 
you can't be doing that. We got to get out of the movement and get to the masses. We got to get out of the movement and we got to get to the masses, right? You know, so it's one thing to, to do, to do that a long time ago, but we got to get out of the movement. We got to get to the masses. All right. Um, but yeah, Sam Marcy's ideology. Look, there are a couple texts by Trotsky that you can read that sound a little more Marxist, right? For example, if you read, um, in defense of Marxism, uh, in defense of Marxism, which is a, a book full of letters that Trotsky wrote, where Trotsky defended, uh, you know, the intervention, the Soviet intervention in Finland, the Soviet invasion of Finland in the Winter War. He defended that. Then um, he said that you should always support the USSR because it's a deformed workers' states. Um, how should revolutionaries engage with baby boomers? Okay. Um, you know, um, you know, he said you should always take the side of the Soviet Union in any war they're in because they're a deformed worker state. Um, and Trotsky also, you know, he wrote a book called Revolution Betrayed, uh, in which he has a whole chapter, why the USSR is not capitalist. And it's very, you know, insightful about the nature of a bureaucracy, et cetera. So, you know, there, there are elements of Trotskyism in Sam Morrissey's ideology. Absolutely. Sam Marcy was heavily influenced by Trotsky, but in some ways he wasn't following Trotsky. You know, Trotsky wanted, you know, he protested the Soviet Union. He said the Soviet Union should have multiple parties. He, he demanded that, you know, the Soviet Union form multiple parties. Well, Workers' World Party and Sam Marcy would never do that. They would never protest that the Cuban government form independent parties other than the Communist Party. Never, 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 never would they do that, right? Um, you know, Trotsky, uh, you know, he was going to testify at the House on american Activities Committee against the CPUSA. I mean, and Trotsky, you know, so there you go. All right, next question. My concept of a deity. If you want to know what I think about God, you need to watch my Bible class tomorrow night. I'm not going to tell it on here because we don't like to talk about religion on here. Some people on here love it when I talk religion and some people don't. And so out of respect for that, out of respect for that, I am going to, to, do the Bible classes separately. So there you go. All right. So yeah, if you want to know what I believe about God, you got to come to the Bible class and then you'll learn about it. All right. Soros comparing Xi to Hitler. How are these right-wingers so stupid to think that George Soros and the liberals are all in bed with China? It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. George Soros is on there comparing Xi Jinping to Hitler. He's making videos attacking Xi Jinping. Oh my God, he's rolling back the market reforms, blah, 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 blah. But, but, these, you know, these right wingers are like, oh, you know, you know, Biden's a communist and he's working for China. No, he's not. George Soros hates China. George Soros has always been a, a vile anti-communist, a vile anti-communist. And I want to slap any of these people that say we can't say Soros's name. Oh, that's anti-Semitic. I just want to slap them. I can't. I don't engage in violence against people, but I'd like to slap them. Because, I mean, this idea, this idea that, that we can't, oh, no, we can't, we can't possibly. We can't possibly, um, you know, criticize George Soros. We have to support every trendy woke liberal cause. And if not, then you're on the right. I mean, no, George Soros is a vile anti-communist. He's responsible for the fall of the USSR in many ways. Awful person, right? Um, meanwhile, people who think that, that Biden's a communist and supports China, no, George Soros hates China. He hates China. So, you know, I mean, come on, come on, come on, come on. Liberals are not communists and communists are not liberals. Let me repeat that. Liberals are not communists and communists are not liberals. I am Joe Biden's enemy. Let's go, Brandon. I hate Joe Biden. And I will not defend Joe Biden from Trump and from forces that are more anti-establishment or more anti-war. 
And I will never do that. And I'm not going to fall into that trap. And I am, I hate wokeism. I believe in Marxism. I believe in socialism. I'm not on the right. I don't believe in capitalism. I don't believe in the free market. I don't believe in racism or sexism. I believe in, you know, equality for the LGBT community and, and freedom of religion. I believe that Muslims and, and Jews and Mormons and every faith should be able to practice freely. Um, you know, and I, 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 I am, I am a left-wing person, but I am not a woke. I hate wokes. Wokeism, the, the people on the internet who think I'm a neo-Nazi and think they're experts on me because they saw a video posted by somebody they've never heard of, the people that, the people that want us all to just be shills for Joe Biden, that hate Russia, that hate China, that hate Iran, that hate Venezuela, that, you know, that are, that are trying to give U.S. imperialism a woke makeover so it can more effectively attack countries and demonize countries. These people are not our friends. I am not awoke, and I hate wokeism. I am sick and tired of wokeism. No compromise with wokeism. None, right? None. If I meet a woke, I'll argue with them, right? Just like I'll argue with a right winger. If I was in Canada right now in Ottawa, I would argue with those truckers and try to get them to be communists. If I meet a woke, I will argue with them and try to get them to be communists. I'm tired of pandering to wokes. I'm tired of wokes. I hate wokes. I hate them. I hate them. I hate them. And I'm so sick of the communist movement sucking up to wokes. It's a waste of time. Wokeism is pro-imperialist garbage, right? It's pro-imperialist garbage. It's anti-communist. It's ID poll and it's vicious and it's nasty and it's hateful. Um, and it, it equates communism with fascism and we must stop tailing wokeism out of the movement to the masses. The working people hate the wokes. The working people are on the verge. There's going to be, there's a rumble. There's a subterranean fire right now. You know, uh, there's a subterranean fire. The working people are ready to rise up against the wokes. They're sick and tired of it. Um, they're sick and tired of the wokes. And, and if we don't separate from the wokes, and if we don't get to the masses and win over average Americans, we are going to be screwed. And it's our responsibility to get to the masses, to separate from wokeism. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, Carl Schmidt. Carl Schmidt was a Nazi. He was the Nazi legal scholar. I mean... What do you want me to say about Carl Schmidt? Nazi, awful person, Holocaust, you know, he was the legal scholar of the Nazi party, right? And he wrote about how laws, he was a little more honest about what laws are, that, you know, laws serve a political agenda. He kind of, you know, was a little more realistic about what law is than, than some of the mainstream bourgeois scholars. A good friend of mine, if he's watching, um, you, know, um, you know, Bill from the United States, uh, he pointed out that in a lot of ways, fascism, Fascism is an attempt to correct the inconsistencies of liberalism. I think that's a very good point, that liberalism as a worldview is very inconsistent, uh, whereas fascism is an attempt to develop a consistent worldview and overcome the inconsistencies of a liberalism. And I think that he might be on to something because in a lot of ways, um, yeah, Carl Schmitt is much more honest. He doesn't think that there's equality under the law. He does believe that the law is a mechanism for achieving an end. So in a lot of ways, I mean, are there things that Marxists could learn from Carl Schmitt's writings? Sure. But what about Carl Schmitt? He was a white supremacist, anti-Semite Nazi. He was a Nazi. He was a participant in the Holocaust. He was an awful person, awful person. So it's like, I don't like Carl Schmitt, but you know, I guess if you're asking me, is there anything from his work that we could learn? It's that like Marxists do, he's honest about bourgeois law. So I guess that's, if, if that's, but you know, that's that. So anyway, 2016 coup against Erwan by Gulen. Well, I, you know, it's kind of hilarious. I met Gulen. Um, after that coup happened, the coup failed. Uh, I was invited to Gulen's ranch as a reporter, and I'm photographed standing next to Gulen. Gulen's little fortress up there in Pennsylvania, that is pretty weird. 
I'll tell you that much. And yeah, Gulan is an Islamic cleric uh, in Turkey. Um, and, he, you know, he was the one that, that started the kind of Islamic movement that brought uh, Erewhon to power. But then he turned against Erewhon. Um, and then a bunch of generals that were followers of his tried to overthrow Erewhon in 2016. There was a coup attempt and it failed. And a lot of them were killed or were they killed or they were just put in jail and humiliated and stuff. Um, but yeah, um, you know, Gulan is a big CIA linked Islamic preacher in Turkey. Um, and he has a cult. Uh, he's a, he's Muslim brotherhood, right? So Islam, right? Among Muslims in the world, you you have three currents. I mean, obviously, I'm hugely oversimplifying, but all right. So you've got Sunnis and Shias. Among Sunnis, there are two major schools of Sunni thought. There is, you know, there's like westernized Sunnism, which is the Muslim Brotherhood. That's Gulan. They believe in technology. They believe in free market capitalism. It's the Muslim Brotherhood, and they believe that you know that basically capitalism and technology. And Western ideas are all fine as long as everyone was a good Muslim. If everyone was a Muslim, there's nothing wrong with Western, the Western way. There's nothing wrong with, with, with free elections, democracy. There's nothing wrong with capitalism, et cetera, right? And, and in Iran, they call it Westernized Islam. That's the Muslim brother, right? And it's big in Turkey. Turkey is a big supporter of that. And Qatar also. That's what they believe in Qatar, right? It's a secular, it's a, it's a not secular, it's very religious, but it's Westernized, right? Westernized Islam, right? And that's Gulan. Gulan is one of those. There's divisions among them. That's the Muslim Brotherhood. Then among Sunnis, you have what are called Wahhabis. And Wahhabis or Salafis, those are people that are like kind of the opposite. They believe they want to kind of restore the 1400. They want to go back exactly to how people lived in the time of the Prophet. They eat with three fingers because Muhammad supposedly ate with three fingers. So they only eat with three fingers when they eat. Um, you know, and they want to have an absolute monarchy. Uh, and they want to set up a caliphate and, you know, those are Wahhabis, right? Those are, those are also Sunnis, but they're Wahhabi Sunnis, right? You have Westernized Sunnis and then you have Wahhabi Sunnis and then you have Shia Islam and Shia Islam is, you know, they follow the Imams who came after Muhammad and Iran is Shia and there are different types of Shia. There's Alawites, there's Zaydi Shia. Most Shia are 12 Shia, meaning they recognize 12 Imams, uh, but at this point, Shia Islam is, is anti-imperialist, right? It's aligned with Iran. It's admiring Venezuela. It's admiring Cuba. Uh, it's, it's with Russia and China against U.S. imperialism. And Shia Islam is like the anti-imperialist interpretation, right? You know, the Wahhabis, the Wahhabism, I would argue, is fascist, right? They're, they're trying to restore the past. They're trying to go back to the Middle Ages. It's, it's this, like, attempt. It's this, this fanatical attempt to restore the Middle Ages. Uh, uh, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood, that's very much westernized, pro-imperialist, pro-Western Islam. And Shia Islam, Iran, you know, uh, and, and, you know, this, the, the, the people of Lebanon and the people of Syria and the Houthis in Yemen, they're anti-imperialists. But at the end of the day, you can't even really say that because most of the people in Syria that are fighting against the terrorists are Sunnis, right? They're not Shias, right? You know, most of the Syrians who support Bashar Assad are Sunnis. They're not Shia. Um, and most of the, most of the people in Yemen that are fighting against the Saudis are Sunnis also the, the Houthis are Shia and they are a big force in it, but it's not really. And so it's like, you can't really divide it up that way. There are many Sunnis that are revolutionary. There are many Sunnis that, that through their Sunni faith, they align with Iran, they align with Venezuela, they align with Cuba, they align with the people of Yemen. So it's not that simple, but those, those are the three currents in the Muslim world right now. Qatar and Turkey are funding the Muslim brotherhood. That's Al Jazeera. That's, you know, that's who they're, they're supporting. Saudi Arabia is funding Wahhabism. 
and and Iran is Shia, and they they have what they call the axis of resistance. That's what their their current in the Middle East is called the axis of resistance, and they're they're aligned with the socialist countries against Western capitalism. They call for not capitalism but Islam, neither East nor West. Um, they're very friendly to China and Russia. So there you go. All right, last question: How should revolutionaries engage with baby boomers? Well, you know, just listen to them. You can learn from baby boomers. Listen to them. Because at the end of the day, and I mean, this must be said, if someone's a baby boomer, right, meaning that they were born right after World War II and the baby boom, you know, the idea that you're going to convert them to something at this point in their life, I mean, it could happen. I'm not saying it's not possible. Um, but, you know, you know, young people are still learning and trying to figure out what they believe. By the time somebody is 70, they know what they believe. Now, However, their life experience is going to be very different than yours, right? They remember life before the internet. They remember life before cable television. They remember life when TV had three stations on it. Uh, they remember the Cold War. They remember the 50s and McCarthyism. They remember the 60s and the cultural upheavals. So if anything, if you want to engage with a baby boomer, just listen to them. Ask them what life was like. Ask them what they thought about big events that happened in their life. What did they think of McCarthyism? What did they think of the 1960s protest movement? What was their experience? What do they remember from it? Listen to them. Learn from them. That would be my advice. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you know, trying to win over and convert somebody at that stage in their life is going to be very, very, very difficult. Um, so there you go. So there you go. All right, folks, we are going to wrap this up. Um, so we're going to end, um, you know, uh, but um, before we end, remember, we need donations. So if you can donate to help our event on March 12th happen with Jackson Hinkle and some other big names, uh, you know, hit the, hit, you know, give, send us a donation via PayPal. Uh, March 12th, Austin, Texas, mark your calendar. It's going to be an awesome, awesome event. Um, so that's going to be happening. That's pretty cool. Um, also, tomorrow night is my first Bible class. Uh, we're doing a class series called uh, the Bible and the Proletarian Movement. So uh, stop by and, and check that out tomorrow night. Bible class on Rockman. It's going to be awesome. And um, I guess, um, you know, uh, last thing, if you want a copy of our new book or our new pamphlet from the Center for Political Innovation, we got a copy of the, uh, the Ideological Foundations of the City Building Tendency linked down below. So there you go, uh, folks. Uh, we're building our community. The Center for Political Innovation is rising. Um, all good stuff. So we'll end the stream here. A new upsurge in the struggle against U.S. imperialism is now emerging throughout the world. Ever since World War II, U.S. imperialism and its followers have been continuously launching wars of aggression. But the people of various countries have been continuously waging revolutionary wars to defeat their aggression. While the danger of a new world war still exists, people of all countries must get prepared. Revolution is the main trend in the world today. While the danger of a new world war still exists, the people of all countries must get prepared. Revolution is the main trend in the world today. Good night. We need a government of action that will fight for working families. We need a government of action that will fight for working families. We need a government of action that will fight for working families out of the movement to the masses. Thank you very much.